And good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, or good evening, whichever the case may be. Wherever you are on this rotating globe, welcome to another live edition. Yeah, I'm here in the flesh tonight. Sorry about last night, but uh, those headaches are just, and nothing I do seems to affect them, and it's, it's been decades. Anyway, enough about me. Welcome to this really, really interesting night, because we've got a few of our imaging team members assembled. Uh, Andrew is with us. He hasn't been with us for some time. He has this incredible summer obsession with baseball. And tonight, actually, uh, for a little part of the show, we're going to talk about baseball. And I'm going to set up live on the air something that I think everyone will be, well, I hope everyone will be interested in. So uh, that's in the offing. We've got uh, Robert Morningstar, who has a sterling uh, credential background, including, you know, artificial intelligence and psychology and intelligence, imaging, you know, processing. Anyway, you can read all their bios. Ron Gerbron, our resident generalist, is going to be with us. And Andrew Curry, who, as you know, actually has a real job. He does uh, stuff for storyboards for Hollywood and commercials. And he also has a degree in art therapy. And you can read all their bios on the other side of midnight. And I got all that out of the way because tonight... I want to tackle something really interesting, which has been kind of gnawing at me for several weeks. There's something really weird going on with NASA. And it's more than the usual weirdness where they're hiding all the good stuff and when they put it out, they don't comment. No, this is, this is deeper. This, uh, this indicates to me that we're coming up to some kind of breakpoint or crescendo, or new phase, or something, and something else is not exactly happy. And I will define all those terms as we kind of move through the uh, evening and the morning. But before we get to that, let me direct all our new listeners, because we always have new listeners dropping in from when I have done Coast, or when I've done Clyde show. Um, you want to go to the other side of midnight.com. That's our homepage. And click on tonight's banner there at the top where Cynthia uh, did a really elegant job. I love that motif. I, you know, because the background is a real NASA image. This is a real deep, deep, deep space image from the Webb Space Telescope, which we will uh, discuss in some detail tonight. I was able to allude to it uh, last Sunday at the end of the web presentation that we did. And then, of course, because I was uh, out of pocket last night, we reran that uh, show uh, last night. So you may have picked it up twice, but we didn't really have a chance to get into the implications of what we're seeing in this official image. And for those of you who have been complaining, and there were some people in email threads I saw during the week who said, I can't find the picture. Where's the NASA picture? I was concerned that maybe in a sudden rush of, oh, my God, who put that out? NASA had just quietly killed the entire page uh, that contained these really remarkable images from the Webb telescope of Jupiter, an image that they weren't really thinking they might be able to get, which they did and did brilliantly. So anyway, it's there. And we've got a link to the official NASA page featuring the images we're going to show you tonight 
so you will have unquestioned authority that they are in fact official real NASA images. I mean, sometimes I know I kind of come off as a bit of a fanatic or obsessive about prominence, but in a world on the internet where everything is now fair game, where any impossibly tall tale and absurd lie and totally, you know, ridiculous explanation is de rigueur, I do like paper trails. I do like to go back to original sourcing because I'm kind of old-fashioned that way, and I like independent sources. And on the Internet, it's so easy to copy and copy and copy and copy and copy. So even if you find the same story on three different websites, you don't know that it's independent. You don't know they've done any homework at all. So, in fact, we're working quietly on my um, epistemology show. We're getting closer. Uh, we've kind of pinned down the guests that I want, the perfect guest, as you will see. And the only question now, of course, is uh, his schedule. So to be uh, announced at a future time. Um, so what you want to do for you who are new to the show, you want to go to the other side of midnight.com. That's our URL. Click on that. That will take you to the home page. You will see at the top of the home page a rather nice banner with this astonishing, the more I look at it, the more I'm astonished, official NASA image which they put forward, they actually, you know, kind of put it out there and said, look, look, without, of course, saying, look, look. So that's the background for our Bourbon Banner tonight. And right under it, uh, when, when you click on that, it will take you to the guest page. And then you will find that same banner at the top of that page. Scroll down just a teensy weensy bit right under where it says to listen to the show. Then it says guest page. Then it says fast links to items. Click on my name. That's a fast link that Cynthia invented to take you directly to the key items on the page so you don't have to scroll and scroll and scroll, you know, all that. Item number one, right there at the top. The teams are pressing ahead for the Artemis One launch, now scheduled for late August. They're literally looking at um, uh, 829, the 29th of August which is a month and a few days away. And they've got backup dates. If you click on that link, you can see what the team is doing. They have fixed some of the little niggling problems with seals that uh, during the uh, uh, countdown demonstration test, the what they call the wet test. Why wet? Well, it's because where they fill the tanks with fuel and oxidizer and sit there and count down to within a few seconds of zero. And then instead of launching, they recycle everything, drain the tanks, and they look at all their data. And that's how they decide whether the rocket is ready to fly. And aside from these very minor leaks, were, which were basically in ground support equipment, that is the uh, piping and hosing that attaches from the ground and the launch platform to the SLS rocket, this extraordinary almost Saturn V, but not quite, uh, which is going to send the Artemis spacecraft to the moon and bring it back. They are basically ready, and there is on the 5th, they're scheduled in Houston a major press conference, which, of course, will also be on NASA television, so you don't have to be in Houston. I would recommend very strongly following all this carefully because this mission, when it launches which will in place of crew have three mannequins lying in the seats instrumented, you know, for 
g-forces and acceleration and all that good stuff um they will be duplicating in essence the trajectory of the man version or the human version of this mission which will take place uh probably within a year of this unmanned flight now you might ask yourself well why don't they fly more often and the answer of course is money this mission alone is going to cost a couple of billion dollars just to send an unmanned spacecraft on a two-week, very elongated orbit around the moon. So because of the incredible price of the SLS, which is the official U.S. government rocket to go back to the moon, as opposed to Elon Musk, who, of course, is building a, an extraordinary 21st century uh, uh, transportation system for a fraction of the cost of NASA, I wonder if we could take side bets on how long the SLS is actually going to uh, be funded and perform before Congress kind of gets the idea, wait a minute, maybe there's a better way. Maybe we should call Musk. I mean, he's already involved in Artemis in terms of the ultimate landing on the moon. And if there is a uh, moon base established at the lunar South Pole, which is the objective, then flying the SLS, which is incredibly expensive compared to uh, Musk's Starship, I just think that it's going to quietly give way and there's going to be no big fanfare and no retirement party. But basically, we're going to ultimately in the next couple of years be going to and from the moon in Musk's Starship, the SpaceX Starship, as opposed to the SLS. But maybe that's just me and we'll have to find out. Anyway, um, there are a lot of other developments we're going to talk about tonight that are connected to this Artemis mission back to the moon. Because as you know, given that these missions now, unlike Apollo, are going to be instrumented from stem to stern with incredible high-res, high-def digital imaging systems, both for stills and video and live downlinks and HD and all that amazing stuff, it's going to be really hard if NASA follows the normal protocol, which is the, uh, you know, photograph the hell out of everything. It's going to be very hard to hide for much longer the ruins on the moon. I mean, you know that I have been working for many years. Probably if I went and actually did the calculation, it's probably more than 15 years on the data indicating overwhelmingly that there are ancient ruins on the moon of an extraordinary nature. They're made of glass. They are miles high. They are not everywhere, but they're certainly in enough places on the moon so that even the unmanned Artemis One mission, as it photographs the moon, and if you're orbiting the moon for two weeks, what else are you going to do? They cannot help but return stunning images, which maybe even to the average viewer will pop out as, what in the world is that over there? And we will see. Um, be that as it may, there's a whole bunch of things around the Artemis program, this return to the moon, including the NASA idea to take the first woman and the first American of color. Um, there are things floating around behind that program that I I, I think are part of our title tonight because I'm seeing some very strange, shall we say, hints of behind the scenes threats, 
So maybe on Artemis, we will not get the wall-to-wall imagery and television and high-def video and all the good stuff that we should be getting. And it will be interesting if that, in fact, happens to, uh, to see what excuses they drag out of the old closet to try to parade in front of us. Well, item number two there under the first item of that Artemis, the web images are in. The initial ones are stunning. They followed a day or so later with another set, including, um, because they could not have too much of a good thing, the um, uh, web images taken of Jupiter. Now, these were not originally meant to be part of the July 12th release package because, well, they didn't know frankly, whether they'd be good enough. One of the key problems with photographing objects in the solar system as opposed to galaxies far, far away is that they move and they're close and they move relatively fast uh, by astronomical standards, certainly by very sophisticated, very precisely aimed uh, space telescope standards. So one of the problems that they had and questions that was unresolved until they actually were in space, fully up and functional and could could perform the experiment, was literally could they take really incredibly high-res infrared images of Jupiter or with its incredible brightness, remember, there's a 21-foot primary mirror for this damn telescope. I mean, come on, imagine how many photons a 21-foot mirror collects for the instruments at the uh, proper focal range. So they didn't know whether Jupiter, frankly, would be so bright that it would kind of fuzz out the tracking cameras and instrumentation, and they would be unable to track this very bright, very hazy in the infrared object. Well, it turned out they could. In fact, they did so much better than the fastest speed they calculated that they can even photograph objects orbiting the sun well inside the orbit of Mars, which moves at about 30 milli arc seconds per second. A milli arc second is one thousandth of a second of arc, which is one percentage of a minute of arc, which of course is one three sixtieth of a you know full circle of 360 degrees. So, um, item number three, one of the things that's definitely on my to-do list, as well as obviously all the, uh, the web folks, is to take data on the most extraordinary planetary system that, that NASA has discovered um, in all of its history. Certainly going back to 1995, when the first uh, exoplanets were discovered by that uh, team out of Switzerland and then confirmed by the folks at the uh, University of San Francisco, all using, of course, big telescopes from the ground. And then, of course, there have been a variety of space telescopes like uh, Spitzer and we can't forget Hubble, which have done some work, but really exoplanetary studies, which wasn't even a field of science when Webb was a twinkle in the eyes of some of the most crazy astronomers back in 1989 at that first meeting, 33 symbolic years ago this summer, note the 33, that will come up again tonight. In fact, it probably will come up several times. Anyway, what they've had in mind, given that the whole field of exoplanets 
was not even a field in 89. By 95, by the late 90s, it had been factored into the design of this, what they then called the Next Generation Space Telescope, ultimately decided to be an infrared telescope because there's so much you can do in the infrared you cannot do in the visible, mainly because the universe, most of it is rushing away from us at close to the speed of light when you're over 13, 12, 10 billion light years out, which means anything you see in the visible that's close by, close being what, a billion light years, is really pushed into the infrared by the Doppler effect. So you need an infrared telescope to basically see what you're missing far away in the visible region of the spectrum where high energy stuff can go on. So cosmologically, Webb was tuned to look at the infrared. Now there's many, many, many different bands or colors in the infrared just because you can't see them doesn't mean they're not real colors, real spectral shifts, real vibrational changes of, of uh, uh, resonating atoms and molecules and all that. So uh, you can assign the infrared spectrum colors just like you can the visible. And so that's what these gorgeous color pictures are. They're, they're kind of like downshift. You know musicians when they say, uh, give me something in the key of G. Well, someone else might sing it in the key of, of C. So think of the infrared colors as merely downshifted octaves if you were equating visible light infrared energy to the audio spectrum, you know, vibrations that the ear picks up in the medium like air. Okay, so they are planning to do a real number on the TRAPPIST system, which is 39, twice 19.5 light years away. Yeah, that's a coincidence. And it's aligned perfectly so the Earth orbiting the sun around what's called the ecliptic, its orbit, sees the TRAPPIST-1 system edge on. And the TRAPPIST-1 system, as opposed to our solar system, which consists of a G-type yellow, very bright star, and rocky planets in toward the sun and gas giants, far away from the sun, separated by something called the asteroid belt, which to a lot of people uh, used to look like the destroyed remnants of another planet. And to the modern folks is merely a, a debris field because Jupiter prevented a planet from being born there. And frankly, I am betting on the former as opposed to the latter. And it's too bad that Tom Van Plannert isn't around because he did some really amazing work which showed that really the asteroid belt is not a planet that couldn't get its act together. It's in fact the vanishing remains of a planet that sometime in the distant past blew itself and its material to kingdom come, leaving a fragment of its mass as a bunch of little chunks and big chunks floating around in what's called the asteroid belt. Anyway, uh, the TRAPPIST system is very, 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 I could go on, very different. For one thing, the sun is missing. The central star in the TRAPPIST system is not a G-type star like the sun. It's a tiny M-type star, which is like one ten thousandth the brightness, uh, and that's for heavy ones, of the sun. And it will last hundreds of billions of years unlike the sun's five billion years, give or take, to burn its uh, hydrogen fuel in the center. Burning is a metaphor 
There's no real burning going on in the sun. It's a thermonuclear process of smashing atoms together in the models. And last but not least, um, the solar system orbiting TRAPPIST-1, this little M-type dwarf, which is barely a twinkle in comparison to the sun's brilliance, it's orbited by seven Earth-like planets. Not only Earth-like in that they're all about the same size as Earth and about the same mass as Earth, but they're within the habitable zone around the star, bunched in really, really close within a few million miles, uh, not like Mercury or Venus or Earth, and Earth, of course, is 93 million. They're all inside, if you put them side by side, and you can see in the diagram there in number three, our solar system is on the bottom, the Trappist system is on the top. Look at all these, all seven Earth-type planets, and they're all orbiting within the habitable zone. In fact, the middle three are really from the Venus orbit out to Earth's orbit, and those are potentially the most habitable, and there's the ones that are going to be focused on by Webb, because what we can do that we could never do before or do with extraordinary difficulty is we can literally, we can literally use the Webb telescope to look at the planets as they cross the disk of their sun, their little M-type dwarf star. And you would see, if you were an eclipse, you would see a little dot moving across the star. Well, of course, even Webb is not big enough to do that yet. Maybe some great-great-granddaughter of Webb will someday. I mean, in space, why couldn't you have a telescope with a mirror a mile across? I mean, imagine a mirror a mile across composed just like Webb's of multiple subunits, all carefully focused, maybe orbiting together, maybe loosely station-keeping with... Anyway, it's, it's, it's an incredible vision. The other thing would be you put two webs on opposite sides of the solar system because the light collection goes up as the uh, square of the mirror size, area, square, area, whereas the resolution only depends on the absolute size of the mirror. So if you take two webs and put them on opposite sides of the solar system, separated by, let's say, uh, um, 200 million miles, roughly the Earth's orbit on our side of the sun and the Earth's orbit on the other side of the sun, and you use some kind of relay spacecraft to send laser beam information between the two, you could create a synthetic telescope that would have the resolution of a 200 million mile wide mirror. Now that's even appropriate to my friend Arthur Clarke. And it's doable with current technology, well maybe another five years they would actually get the chops up to, to want to do that. But can you imagine the resolution of a web twin literally parked a 200 million miles away, beaming coherent light information back and forth with lasers? In other words, it will be left for the audience to calculate the resolution of such a super, super, super interferometric telescope. But I would bet dollars to Navy Beans that not only would we be able to see planets, the planets of TRAPPIST-1 orbiting in front of the star as little disks moving across the reddish 
incredible background of the M-type dwarfs, but we might even have the resolution to see continents and clouds, and if they're inhabited, the cities on the night side. Once you get started with this, and once you realize space is the place, the place for heavy, super planetary industrial engineering, there literally is no limit even roughly within contemporary technology. Which brings us to item number four. And given that we've got about five minutes at the bottom of the hour, let me let me kind of set the stage here. When the web people, the day after the official image release on the 12th, which was a Tuesday of July, they quietly released more images uh, that were taken during the commissioning, the six-month commissioning phase before the final you know, proclamation of the telescope is now ready for science. They took a bunch of engineering images, and so when everything went so swimmingly well for the release date with those five really historic images, they then looked around, and they said, well, what else can we release? And they realized they had some pretty amazing images of Jupiter, which, in fact, had worked. Uh, against the engineering predictions of some of the more negative engineers associated before who thought the, it, Jupiter would be too bright to be tracked and all that. Well, the tracking turned out to be superb. So if you click on number four, this is kind of like the click, click, the kickoff image uh, for our entire evening. Because the more you look at that image, in fact, it's two images, it's a shorter wave uh, uh, infrared and a longer wave infrared image taken obviously not simultaneously but unknown minutes or even hours apart. How do we know that? Because some of the details in the image on the left have disappeared in the image on the right and in terms of the infrared colors if they were there they should still be there. So what happened? Well, obviously, in the time interval between the two images, things moved. I mean, look at Europa, compare it carefully on the two images, and you'll see in the second image on the right, it's slightly farther away from Jupiter than it is in the image on the left. The same with a couple of, of moons there. Notice that they've got some of the objects named. There's Thebe, there's uh, Metis or, or Metis which is a little tiny moon uh, there on the right, hugging the, the ring. You can see the ring of Jupiter very nicely in the image uh, on the right, which is longer wavelength. So uh, you can also see it in the image on the left, but not exactly as well. And then there's some really weird anomalies that not only are not designated by the NASA annotators, but they're not discussed at all. It's like they're on the image. NASA put the image out there, and yet they don't say anything about all the anomalies or interesting objects on the image, which is for NASA completely, you know, they've, they've never done that. As far as I can remember, they tabulate, they list everything on the image so that, you know, dumb space science reporters uh, simply look at the image and know what they're looking at and don't have to look anything up. Because of course, reporters, particularly in the era of the internet, are working incredibly tight deadlines. So you do not want to have to waste time trying to find something when the uh, 
data could be present easily on whatever uh, um, you know data block that NASA chooses to put with the image. Well, on this image, if you look and look and look, you won't find tabulations for more than two or three very mysterious additional features, which I've spent a lot of time now kind of trying to figure out. And I think I have figured out what's going on. And it's going to knock your socks off. Well, we're at the bottom of the hour. Uh, it's time to take a break. And I thought apropos of the 53rd anniversary of the Apollo 11 mission, which is, in fact, when um, NASA this week chose to announce its launch date for our return spacecraft and rocket to the moon, Here's old Frank Sinatra with an old favorite. Hold my hand. In other words, baby, kiss me. Fill my heart with song and let me sing forevermore. You are all I long for. In other words, please be true. In other words, I love you. The other side of midnight.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hogland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcast that provides you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. Saturday, no, it's Sunday night on the 24th of July, 2022. And yes, as Frank said, we love you. You. 
Okay, um, let me introduce my cast of thousands. Actually, it's what, three or four or five. Uh, Robert Morningstar, come on down. Are you there, Robert? Greetings. Hey, I'm here. <laughs> okay. And... I was studying the long delayed echo and I had a long delayed reaction. To wow, that. wow. Okay. Andrew, Andrew Curry, are you there? I am present and ready. Super. Ron, have you joined us? Yes, I've been here. Excellent. And of course, we have Keith yeah. there in the uh, uh, down in engineering. And yeah, uh, I'm here. Okay. And Ruggiero, are you here? Mr. Ruggiero. Uh, he's not here yet. Ah, okay. Well, it's it's early. It's crack of dawn time, and he's a late night guy, so he will join us uh, presently. Okay. Um. I, I want to start with this bizarre web image because I've been looking at it, and the more I see, the more – well, that's not really grammatically correct. The weirder it gets. I was going to say the more weird it gets, but it's really weird. And I want to know, has anybody spotted the other weird which is really bizarre, that is sitting there right in front of everybody, and even I didn't see it, and I look at this stuff a lot. So anybody want to – Take a stab at the second weirdness besides the big black geometric thing uh, between Europa and the limb of Jupiter. Yeah, I'd like to take a shot because I've been uh, really going over the geometry and the perspective. Okay. And what I, what I find most intriguing is the speckle, the black speckles. Oh, yes, yes. That we see around that central band right above the great red spot. And then there's that black, there are these black uh, spots on Jupiter itself. But what I'm talking about are the speckles that are the float. I'm calling them the floaters, right? Remember, yeah. as we were looking at the object, I said that it looked like some kind of construction was going on with uh, not pieces of a shattered satellite, but building block of some huge space station. And now with these, this lateral view, that uh, you released uh, tonight with the enhanced photos. The entire planet is ringed by these speckled black dots. Except, how do you know they're at Jupiter's distance? I am not saying that they are at Jupiter's distance because I think they're in orbit around Jupiter. That's Jupiter's so, distance. Jupiter well, is half a billion miles away. Let's assume, let's assume they're orbiting a million miles away from Jupiter. That's still yeah. half a billion miles away. Remember, a million is one one-thousandth of a billion. So mm -hmm. they're... They, well, at, they're obstructing the light from Jupiter. Which, uh, means, they, which means... Which means that they are between the telescope they're and... They're somewhere the between Webb and Jupiter. And yeah. my bet is they're a hell of a lot closer to Webb which is a million mm -hmm. miles behind us away from the sun, than they are, you know, close to Jupiter. Because yeah. if they were at all close to Jupiter, that black geometric object there between Europa and the limb of Jupiter is bigger than Europa, which is like a couple of, you know, thousand miles across. Yeah. So that's exactly. not tenable. Now, the specs, see, you see specs, you see construction, I see de destruction. The reason yeah. being that if you look at the right-hand image, there are mm -hmm. speckles all over it. Yes, and, I saw that. I and those that speckles, well. I think, are, are expanding, a expanding debris field 
from something mm-hmm. tried to blow this geometric object up, and you're seeing successive shells of material coming off. And, of course, the earliest stuff farthest, and the last stuff is closest, and you can see a concentration of black specks near the geometric object, which looks yeah. conical and cylindrical. It's, it's symmetrical. It's, it, does, it can't be an asteroid. For one thing, it could also be. It could also, oh, the object could not uh, cannot be an asteroid. But I'm talking about the speckles. They could also be a satellite system. Yeah, but the speckles are concentrating crash. around the black object. So there's no, a I'm focal point. The ones that are all around the planet. Well, they're just in I'm our model. They, they just drifted further away. But there's a concentration around the black object. They come from the black object in this yeah. model. And yeah. of course, with good science, you have to have predictions which is that if this object was moving, like everything is moving and they were trying to track Jupiter to see if they could counteract the the motion, between the first and the second image, what's missing, obviously missing in the second picture, the one on the right? There's no black black object. object. The black object's not there. Yeah, it obviously moved, but the speckles are still there. Which means well, I don't know. Let's say you said we you said these are taken at two different frequencies of light. Yeah. So perhaps the object is there, but it's not reflecting that frequency. No, 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 of light. no, 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 no. Because of the physics of infrared, no. If it was visible, if it was there, it should be visible on both images that they were taken simultaneously. We know the one on the left was a seventy-five second image, so just uh-huh. slightly over a minute. Uh, that was part of some caption that NASA released. Anyway, let me let me move on because this gets really intriguing uh, as you get more data. So now look at number five. All right, this is an image, same image on the on the left and the one above, but they've really blown it out. They've exposed it over, over you know really overexposed it, so you can right. see that the this object is just hanging out there in the ring plane of Jupiter, but mm-hmm. it's kind of like a selfie somewhere between Webb and Jupiter. My bet is it's extraordinarily close. Otherwise, it has to be incredibly big. And for everybody on the planet and NORAD and the mm-hmm. president not to declare DEFCON 5 and all that, if something this big wandered into the solar system, no, it appears but to have brought, been... Uh, good point here because now we can have a guesstimate, a pretty accurate guesstimate, or a more accurate guesstimate than before. Because you just mentioned this ring of uh, Jupiter, and it's it's really cool that the ring is inside the image. This image is not inside that ring. So at least if you know the uh, radius of that ring around Jupiter, we can now start to build a little three-dimensional Yeah, but uh, again, picture. you don't know the distance to the black Anomaly, the black object. Yeah, but at least we know that it's at least one ring away. No, 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 you don't. No, no. All it is is we know it's in the ring plane, but it could be anywhere between Jupiter and here. There's no third dimension yet. There's no data that tells us other than common sense that it can't be a spacecraft the size of Europa because every alarm bell on, on Earth would be going off and nothing, nothing. Amateurs would be reporting it, and they haven't, right? No, I think this was a spacecraft piloted by someone, let's assume ETs for a moment, and they carefully positioned it so it would be between Jupiter and the telescope when they took the picture, 
how do they manage all that? Well, if they're part of the, what I call extended family, in other words, ETs are just human beings who happen to hang their hat in a different place, maybe even in a different solar system. <clears throat> they probably have people, agents, working for NASA and working for Webb, and you can't tell them without a scorecard. They look yeah. normal. So they you change normal. your mind. You change your mind. Your original uh, thesis was that this was the lift vehicle that had gone beyond and had carried on toward Jupiter. Oh, absolutely, so, absolutely. Because now, it is it is mangled. It is not a pristine uh, um, Ariane upper stage. So it's either <clears throat> something like that that's been really damaged that could still yeah. be you know an operative model. Or it's something totally foreign. Yeah. Totally alien. I think it's ET personally. I agree. It's an ET. It's not, uh, it's not an Earth. And I think someone carefully parked briefly to send a selfie to NASA. Because remember, only NASA got these images. Then someone mm-hmm. in NASA made the decision to make them all public, but with zero comment. I have been right. covering NASA. I've been a consultant to NASA for decades i have never known nasa to resist an opportunity to explain everything in a picture down to you know naval wind in this case there are two really amazing objects that they don't talk about this is one so let's let's continue because i think it the story gets even more interesting now number six what i've done here is i've arrayed them side by side uh, the one on the left is just an enlargement of number five. The one on the right is where I expose, overexpose, just blew up the, uh, the the brightness to where I could see into the, the blackness. Given that if you look very carefully at the left-hand image, you'll see some of those little black dots. <clears throat> I have white on one edge and it's black on the other. That is yep. sunlight. That's reflections of sunlight with shadows in the correct geometry because the sun is coming slightly, not from just behind the camera, behind the the web telescope, but somewhat to the left. So you're not looking at a full Jupiter. You're looking at a very shallow gibbous Jupiter. And you can tell that if you go back and look at image number five because those – Richard, this is a fantastic uh, discovery of yours. I don't think you've seen it. But you brought out a character that's written inside that uh, inside that black body. Well, hang yeah, on, hang cross. on, hang on. It looks like a Chinese character. You're looking at the right-hand version. Let me tell you what I did, and then yeah. we can talk about whether it's real or, or Memorex. All I did was to brighten the image on the left and make it a companion so it's now the twin on the right. And when I, I did that, I expected, given that this is in brilliant sunlight, I couldn't understand why it's so damn dark it's like it's absorbing all energy from the sun which no normal object certainly in the infrared would do there'd be some reflection because we're close enough to visible at these uh uh, near cam wavelengths that basically the surface whatever it is is going to reflect light just like another color you know we're not dealing with thermal discussing the the photo before and uh, saying why it's not visible in in a certain picture the thought came to my mind of black bodies that absorb the heat or become heat sinks uh or transform it yeah but But, no natural object would do that and the missing object in the in the right hand image at at, on the two panel way above two 
two images above says, no, that's not what's going on. It moved. It's gone in that second image, which means it was not taken simultaneously, but taken minutes or maybe an hour. We don't know the right. time frame because they don't give us the data. Here's yeah. what's important. When you blow out, when you overexpose that black version on the left, you get the reddish version on the right with some geometry. Now, when I, when I looked at that, that to me, and Ron, you can come in here if you want to, as an imaging expert, to me, that looks like an overlay, a paint overlay designed to obscure and hide the actual geometric detail on the sun side of this object. Ron, yes, no, maybe? Did we lose Ron? Mr. Gervron, are you there? Keith, is he with us? Yes, I had to unmute. I had to unmute. It's going to be on people's tombstones. He forgot to unmute. (laughs) Go ahead. So am I looking at some kind of overlay that NASA used to paint the detail that basically, if you unless you look at it in extraordinary uh, amplification, it just looks black. And did we lose Ron again? I guess he's we... still connected. Oh, now he's gone. Okay. So Robert, yeah, as, I do. Hang I on, hang on, hang on, is... hang on. Yeah. Let me phrase the question. Sure. As opposed to my interpretation of Ron's, that this is just you know the the geometric signature of painting in Photoshop. You say that that is a specific Chinese character. Well, maybe whoever did the no, painting. I, I say it's structure that looks like a Chinese character. To me, the bottom section, the, the two horizontal connected with the upright is gum here, which means work. But uh, it's got a head. I mean, it's really extreme to say it, that it's a Chinese character, but okay, I okay. do believe it's architecture. I was, I was hoping you would be able to translate it. So back to Ron. You're with us. Gum, right? work. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to figure out which specific I've been following this. I'm number just six. Not sure. Are you... Number six. The right-hand image is number six. Oh, okay. So you want me to scroll back up to there. Nine, eight, seven, six. Um, the uh, I don't know why that uh, it looks like that. How's that? Well, expand. Why don't you know why? To me, it looked like a classic example when NASA paints things up. Like, for instance, they paint out all the sky over the moon so the structures don't stick up and scatter sunlight. And if you look along the horizon, you'll see a whole bunch of geometric little thingies where they use a a kind of a clip tool to just expunge the background and make it black. But they don't do it really carefully. So you can see between the horizon of the moon and space above it that they literally cut out any detail above the moon. That's what this looks like. It looks like some artificial geometric overlay of the of whatever program they used to basically paint out or mask the detail on the sun side of this geometric object. Richard is thinking mm. that they imprinted a microchip on it because there's far more information on this that you've drawn out. First, there's the light bars that look like a Chinese character, but I'm standing in front of a 42-inch screen and have it really in great resolution. And there are other highlights of red circuitry. I was, I say this thing looks like a microchip. microchip. Yeah, I think it looks more like a circuit. It looks more like a circuit layout than a, yeah, a, 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 a Chinese character. 
Well, that's yeah, but still, these are these have to be illusions if the object is even human scale, meaning it's an upper stage that someone placed a few miles away from Webb to do a, a, a photo bombing selfie because they were trying to impart a higher level message. And I'll get to what that message is in a minute. <clears throat> yeah, I don't know. I, th- I think it's just uh, they chose a method of enhancement that was quick and easy and didn't uh, cause them any more problems. But as far as to the object itself, I just want to say I still think it reminds me more of Phobos. I know it's shaped like a capsule, but I think it's bigger than that. And I think it's one of those discarded ships that's floating around in the solar system. And that the, the black things around it look like the kind of debris you would find from a crippled ship. Okay, the only problem with that is as you move from Jupiter in toward the sun, so you can decide arbitrarily how far away it is, I'm saying a few miles, if it's human scale, if it's like the upper stage of of an Earth rocket, the velocity differential between Jupiter and this object would be so great that you get one of them but you wouldn't get both of them in the same shot and they wouldn't be sharp or crisp. This object is crisp. It's not blurred. Mm-hmm. It's not smeared. It's an absolutely froze it. And we know that it's a 75 second exposure gentlemen, which means it had to be in motion. So how can it be frozen in a 75 second image? Who wants to take that one? Well, it's not moving very fast. No, it was if it's closer than Jupiter, it's moving faster than Jupiter. Kepler's laws, okay? Which means it would be a hopeless smear. Whatever did this, whoever this there, station kept it to counteract with some super intelligent feedback system so they could exactly match the resolution specs of Webb. That's why the more you look at this the more impossible it gets. This is not an accident. This wasn't photobombing by accident. This wasn't an asteroid kind of just crossing the field of view, all of which would be smeared. This was a deliberate station-keeping target that was placed between Webb and Jupiter for a message. And I think, Robert, the message is in the cloud of black speckles. Yes, yeah, I don't. Uh, I, I oh, don't just like goo in outer space. Say again. It's a black goo in outer space. You know the legend of the black goo, graphene oxide, yeah, intelligent, yeah, yeah. intelligent liquid. Oh yeah, the X Files thing. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> there actually was uh, a I, whole movie uh, written about uh, astronauts who go to Mars, land, and come back infected by something like the black goo. Long before yeah. Chris Carter, Chris Carter probably saw the movie. It's not a bad movie, yeah, actually. Yeah, it's a meme. Yeah, uh, no, I, I I have a slightly different tack. Before uh, I'll give it back to you in a second, Robert. I, I just uh, I how many pictures he asks uh, hypothetically uh, have you all seen of uh, from JPL and anybody else that's dealing with telescopic images uh, where they group together a bunch of things. You know, I have a poster that's got all the all the prominent asteroids. Oh, right, right. What's her name? Emily Lakadawala used to do brilliant work in that field. Yeah, yeah. There's a, that's a common thing, as is uh, masking to protect detail as much as obscure it, which they often which they often do, uh, because you know, to the 
the astronomer mindset, uh, the black space is black space. That's not what you're taking a picture of. And so if you have a uh, something that shows that you have overlaid some enhancement on the prominent image item, uh, then they don't care about those edges. You know, they're not making a calendar picture. It's it's data. But in this case, I think it could be a sandwich. It uh, I think that yeah, you're right about the relative motion and um, the fact that it would be moving. And if it's much closer to Earth, which I think it is, uh, it why does it uh, have you know, to be moving? Why does it? Why does can it be just a stationary object? We don't know. It could be pretty much. Well, wait, 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 guys. What, what do you mean stationary? What, what do you mean, Robert? What do you mean stationary? Nothing in space okay, is stationary. Yeah, we're assuming that it's orbiting Jupiter. No, right we're now. not. Yeah. I'm assuming it's orbiting the sun much closer. Let's say stationary relative to the Webb telescope's perspective. No, I, I think I know what he means. Yeah, it's closer to the Earth, as in it's closer to the L2 point where Exactly, uh, yes, yes. And then, even then, but, it would be moving relative to Webb, and mm-hmm. it would be smeared because nothing is standing still. And that's why they build in the tracking, and apparently, as opposed to just six, uh, 30 uh, millis arc seconds per second, which is a very, very incredibly tiny angle, they can do as mm-hmm. fast as 67 milli arc seconds, which means they can track things orbiting the sun well inside Jupiter, but certainly not in the halo in the L2 no. region. But but my reference, yeah, Ron poster. exception. Yeah. What? I, I, he, he mentioned the word masking, which yeah, is yeah. Uh, notorious. So this actually, if, if it's that, they could just have cut out that area like that arbitrarily and blacked it in and put in that patch to hide what's, what's there. Well, why, I don't why, think they hid anything. Why? I think they were adding it. That's uh, that's all I'm trying to get yeah. out here. What do you mean? Uh, add, I think well, that, well, but define your terms. What do you mean? Add? You mean they literally? I'm stop. trying. I'm I'm trying. But between the the bad phone connection and the um, everything else, it's, it's very simple. Uh, they took the best picture they could of the thing, which is where it looks like it is, even though it's uh, it's superimposed over the picture of Jupiter. I don't know what you words, mean. They, Are you saying they literally? It's much closer to the Earth. Yeah. They took the they took the best possible picture there, and it's not it's not moving much. So the the problems of relative motion and blur and motion blurring and stuff would be completely different, obviously, than from the Jupiter picture. So upon I don't understand what you, I don't of, understand what you just said at all. It's two images. There's an image of the no, background. No, 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 no. That would violate NASA's first rule, which is don't get caught doing this. If they put out a web image and some enterprising reporter, note the pun, found out that they had taken two pictures and put the black thing over as a composite, the overexposed Jupiter image. No way. They'd be hung. They'd be fried. You know, no. I'm not saying is... that it's not there. If you were with your eyeballs able to see that all of this, right. you would see the black thing in the foreground, relatively speaking, and Jupiter at that particular aspect right. in the background. And they simply uh, – but they take lots of pictures. No, they didn't. Uh, and, they, they, and they, long they took, exposures. They, no, they took one engineering image. This was it. And they hauled it out of the drawer because they weren't going to – they didn't think it was ready for prime time. And with the overwhelming positive reaction of the three previous five images on the day before, on Wednesday, they released this one image, 
with several additional versions. It's all the same image, mm -hmm. and they did not take two pictures and super them over each other. No, 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 no. So Okay, so they took that option. Back to this problem. That object, that geometric object that looked to me incredibly geometric, particularly like a cone with a mangled cylinder behind it, kind of almost like the old uh, command module and uh, uh, service module lunar, you know, combination, except mangled. If they took it all simultaneously, why is the sun side, the side of the geom geometric anomaly that we're seeing, why is it pitch black? There's no detail. And when you, you know, overexpose it, you get that weird microchip geometry that Ron alludes to. Or maybe, maybe, maybe Robert. Chinese characters that Robert alludes to. But there's no detail that you'd expect given that these other moons at Jupiter, which is literally half a billion miles further away in my model, they're brightly lit in the infrared and you can see them blatantly. So why this object pitch black? Uh, they have numerous times when NASA, when talking about uh, and associated agencies, when talking about asteroids, pointed out, even though they'll show you something that has detail that they managed to punch up enough that you could see it, uh, they say the basic color of these things is usually pitch black. And we're talking carbon black. We're talking as black as black can be. And uh, the picture of the two or Ron, so pictures Ron, of it's what? not what? an asteroid. It cannot be an asteroid. Well, most of the asteroids are, are busted up ships as well. I'm just using that in it their, as their nomenclature. It still cannot be an asteroid. It well, it can be a ship. But it still can't be black. Why not? Because the other stuff that's black in the image is actually bright. What if it's a stealth technology? Like ah, Robert yeah. gets the golden prize. We're yeah, talking about an act one. We're talking about we're talking spirit. about something that's radar. We're talking about something that's stealth technology that is yeah. absorbing so energy that's designed to be spooky and sneaky, and it got caught and they clobbered it, and that's where all the debris is coming from. Now, this is all presuming that we're looking at two sides: somebody who was approaching, somebody who didn't want them to approach, and whack them. What if it's all part of the same very staged tableau, and it's only one side that's doing all this? Tell you what, hold it there. We're at the top of the hour. My guests this morning are so far Ron Gerbron and Robert Morningstar. Keith lurking in the background. Ruggiero's going to join us shortly. And Andrew has been mysteriously silent. So when we come back, we're going to ask his um, opinion and then I'm going to spring my next discovery in this same image on you. And I guarantee it gets even weirder. You're on the other side of midnight. I'm trying to figure out tonight, is NASA being blackmailed? And this image, when you understand what you're seeing and what other little thing happened to Webb in the last two months that was not supposed to happen, the black veil model, unfortunately, makes a lot of sense. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return.
theothersideofmidnight.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hogland and his fascinating guests. Support the broadcast and go into some other groundbreaking conversation. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. And welcome back, everyone, on this Sunday night, the 24th of July, 2022. We're talking about this bizarre anomaly seen on the first web image of Jupiter released last week, which is absolutely mind-blowing and should not be there. And what is so mind-blowing about it is that NASA, in opposition to everything it's done for the last 50 years, It put out the image and didn't say one word about the big, hulking, black spaceship hanging off the port bow. Okay, let me bring my guest back on. You guys are with me. I hope, I hope, I hope. Um, let 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 me talk about something else that's really bizarre. Okay, because this only gets better and better and better. Uh, Everybody, I need to do something on the screen. Let me go back to. uh, Oh, I'll tell you what, Uh, before we leave this, Andrew, you had something you wanted to add. Yeah, two things, Richard, the debris field around this (laughs) incredible thing is to me is streaming out geometrically like in right angles i i don't know maybe i'm just seeing things you mean but if you, when you say you mean radially like with, with the yeah. object at the center and then you've got stuff moving out like from an explosion yeah a and, slow and motion explosion ex- exactly and it's moving in a i mean it's not like spread out in sort of disorganized way it's almost streaming you know, along lateral and then vertical lines, right? I mean, maybe that's just, maybe it's just me, but it's very, very strange. So as you guys were talking, I um, did a little court <laughs> You know, I was going to ask you this afternoon. I thought, nah, that'd be pushing the envelope. And look what you went and gone and did. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, please, uh, Richard. I, I, so it's 6A in your items. I yep. asked Keith to post it. And, uh, you know, I went into the court and um, sketched the... Um, court proceedings <laughs> and yeah i mean this is just to- like a three-quarter under under view of what this could be i mean i i have no idea but oh, my my, my they- first question is where did you get all that detail well i i mean i was following the reds the red so 
if everybody goes to, out there goes to uh, Richard's items and then goes to 6A, you can see what I've been fiddling around with. Well, the geometry of the side that Robert sort of, you know, uh, Chinese characters or some sort of circuitry pattern to me does look like structure and it looks like it's been hollowed out. Um, and then I just did a, like a lower view looking up at this thing. I mean, I could do a dozen of these things and with different shapes, but you know, Richard, this is very, very strange. And you think? I, I don't. <laughs> I mean, it's intriguing beyond belief. The stuff hanging. Well, I say hanging. To me, what's so think. intriguing is that not one of these crack reporters yeah. who are paid a hundred times what you and I make together in in a year, not one of them asked NASA. Wait a minute. What about the black thing? Not no, one. Not one. And I'm thinking, are these people deaf, dumb, and blind, or are they so programmed that since NASA has meticulously tabulated every little stupid thing in their images, including naval wind, the fact that they did not mention this, but they did say it was an engineering image, the the really seasoned veterans went, oh, well, I know what it is. It's noise. It's because it wasn't tweaked properly. It was, in other words, they don't need to know the details because obviously if it was anything important, NASA would tell them. And since NASA said nothing, it cannot be. In other words, we're in a circular tautological loop where people do not suspect that a government agency, this one in particular, would ever lie to them or misdirect them by not talking about something really important. I think you're being too nice to them. They're housebroken. <laughs> Nobody brought it up, and so they don't dare be the one. Andrew, you did a fantastic job with that. Isn't uh, it? It's, it's a, we, yeah. we have such talented people, all of you. I'm, I'm eternally grateful when I started this stupid show because Art Bell said, oh, why did you do a show, Dick? <sighs> anyway, I am, I am surrounded by geniuses, and I mean that with all their sincerity. And Andrew, you've done a fantastic job. Uh, if, if you look on the right-hand side of the blown-out image, let me, let me go back to that. There appears to be a smidgen of detail that you can see just on the right-hand edge of the reddish version. Uh, in fact, if you look at the enlargement in the upper right, you can see that there's just a hint of some kind of detail that's not like the rest of the... And, and I wouldn't you know, trust that for a second because I think they deliberately got rid of all the detail and just left the object so that someone, please, please ask us the question. And nobody did. So let me, let me go back to, and I'm, I'm sorry I didn't put this in twice, so you have to scroll back and forth. Let's look at number four again, okay? And you want to look at the right-hand image. I'm sorry, left-hand image. And you want to look, uh, you see where it says on the right-hand side, guys, uh, meet us, which is that little dot above the S at about the one o'clock position. That's one of the moons of Jupiter in the plane of the rings. And you can see where the ring plane is if you look on the left-hand side of Jupiter. What is that big, whomping, reddish sphere at the bottom left, right-hand corner of the image? Yeah, good question. And why doesn't NASA give it a label? They've labeled Europa. They haven't explained, of course, the uh, 
negative center, which is the brightness settings going cattywampus because they don't have quite, you know, the algorithm in place to correct for over bright because they didn't expect to be able to get anything. By the way, you can see where above the where it says meet us, you can see the layering of Jupiter. That's the evening layering of hazes that condense because you're looking at a gibbous Jupiter. So you're looking against the night side. So you can see the dust levels and the condensation of aerosols and the, I mean, there's stunning scientific detail in this crude, crude image. But for some reason, they don't label the big round orangish tannish thing at the bottom right corner. Why? I assumed when I first saw it, given that I looked at a million pictures of Jupiter, that it was probably Io. Then I said, well, wait a minute. If it was Io, why wouldn't they label it? And again, remember, an agency that labels everything on its images, including naval lint. So why didn't they give it a label? Well, because it's not supposed to be there. And they don't like the big black thing, catty corner on the other side of the image. And Jupiter, they don't want to give it a name because they don't want to call any attention but they're publishing the unvarnished data, praying that somebody will ask the question. And nobody Richard, did. I think you're right. I think it's I.O. But it would, have a lab- it would have a label. I, well, there's a label. Where is it? only what astronomers would know, which is the flux tube. The flux tube between I.O. and the surface of Jupiter. No, 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 changing. no, no, that no, no, that is not it. That is not the flux tube. That's what I see. No, 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 because you don't understand the flux tube, obviously. The flux tube is what connects Io, North Pole and South Pole, which is basically up and down to the ring plane. So the Mm -hmm. North Pole of Io, if that was Io, it would be the little line connecting the object and the word metis with the M. And the flux tube goes from the North Pole of Io all the way up into the North Pole region of Jupiter, and the other one goes from the South Pole all the way down and curves around to the South Magnetic Pole of Jupiter. It does not connect directly between Io and the planet. It does not do that. Does not. Look it up. Look it up. Look it up. But there is obviously... Well, it does look like there's a line between the object and the letter M in Metis. Which would be heading towards no, the north. You, you wouldn't you wouldn't see it because that's that's the scan lines of the of the detector. Those those kind of little um, looking like scan lines. They are scan lines. They're infrared scan lines on an imperfectly uh, calibrated image. All right, it is an engineering. But while image. we're on this picture, let's talk about. I mean, we're ignoring that right side picture. Well, no. With all of the speckles, yeah. all of it, almost evenly distributed, I hate to say it, evenly distributed, but it's pretty uniformly distributed over this entire uh, globe of Jupiter. I think Which that's means odd. Between, well, between the time that the first image was taken and the second image was taken, if I'm right, and by the way, you'll notice that the speckles are also across Europa. They're over the entire field of view. Right. I, I think that the, the expanding debris of the effort to kill this thing simply expanded over the time between the first image and the second image. So now the, 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 the debris, the, the chunks, the shattered whatever, have expanded to fill the field of view with Jupiter way behind it by half a billion miles. Let me go back to why I don't think this is Io, okay? And for that, okay. we, and for that we've got to go back to my 
uh, items, scroll down to number seven. Click on number seven. This is now an enhancement close-up of the object. For one thing, it does not look like I.O. at all because it's it's got concentric layers, and in the center is not a black dot, like an image reversal like Europa, but a faded, gradual reduction of luminosity. And there's a little notch taken out of the left-hand uh, circumference at about the 10 o'clock position. You guys see that? Yeah. Then you see this bright streak of something as wide as the object going from it directly to the great red spot of Jupiter, which cannot be. There's nothing in a three-dimensional realm emanating from the great red spot of Jupiter. However, there is an extraordinary torsion field vortex in a higher dimension, which affects Jovian gravity and which would literally connect a massive object that is rotating with the great red spot, which by the way is not red, it's bright because the hazes in the great red spot in this channel of the infrared uh, are reflecting sunlight brightly. That's why it's bright and not dark. It's dark in the color images and dark red because of the chromophores or whatever materials uh, are being swirled up from deep under Jupiter up to the cloud tops where we see them as this great red vortex. The thing that you know, connects- the object also doesn't look, it looks somewhat flat with a central point And uh, I would call it like a floral pattern with a notch and it's not uniformly. No, uh, no, it, it, lo- it looks very good. I'm thinking maybe that's another spacecraft. Yeah. And this one is as big as Europa or Io, and yeah. it's doing something to the great red spot of Jupiter, either with a torsion field or a tractor beam or some other, you know, Federation technology that we can't imagine yet in the open world, in the white world, as opposed to the secret black world where all this technology is known and is used by the secret space program, et cetera, et cetera. So obviously somebody, again, in my model, remember, for the mysterious double impact on the moon, that somebody was basically parading around in Superman's cape saying, you can't touch us, we can do this, and you can do nothing, peons. They're demonstrating two things here. One is an extraordinary technology which literally can interact visibly by creating a column of infrared scattering material between the object and the great red spot, which means it's got to be in system. It's got to be at Jupiter, which means it's that large, which means it's scary. If you're part of the military establishment of this planet, you are frightened to death by what this thing can do. And it may be that the black object is one of the things it did do by simply swatting like a fly, whatever this object is, producing all the pieces Now, why would this be a threat to NASA? Because what happened to NASA just a few days before all this unveiling? They got hit by something in the at the L2 position in that halo orbit that thunked them at such a velocity with such a mass that it literally produced a visible dent in the mirror. And if you want to see what it looks like, go down to my number 16 
Click on 16. This is a report recently published, which um, says in rather dramatic hyped headlines, meteor impact left incorrectable damage to Webb telescope. If you actually read the report, and I sent, Ron, I sent you the actual report this afternoon. You can see all those people. (laughs) Um, It turns out if you go and look at the image right at the top of the uh, of the paper, the article, the impact is right there on the bottom right hexagonal mirror. It's that bright star. Notice that all the other mirrors, this is a real uh, camera image taken out of the mirror. We know they can do that because they did it before. And then if you scroll down, you'll see some more modeling. You'll see some, some uh, uh, there's a, another illustration further down. And what they've done is they quantified the mirror overall performance, all of the 18 hexagons before the impact and after the impact. And on a scale of 57, it turns out to be a 59 uh, nanometer RMS, root mean squared, which means it's not even detectable in the overall performance. But it was so out of range compared to what they had predicted would strike the telescope as it's orbiting in this incredible volume. You have no idea what the volume is that Webb is orbiting. And I did a calculation earlier in the week. It turns out to be eight quadrillion cubic miles. And if you have forgotten what a quadrillion is, it turns out to be 8,000 trillion cubic miles in which Webb is orbiting and the odds of anything substantial hitting the telescope in any conceivable amount of time is incredibly minuscule and was very nicely modeled by 19 other really tiny impacts that they've had over the period of time they've been there, like about six months. But this one was so out of range, they're now looking to say, well, where'd that come from? I am wondering if it came from a directed strike companion with this image basically saying to NASA on a blackmail thread, if you continue to do something, and we don't know what the something is the NASA is doing that they want to have stopped, we can destroy your telescope in a way that makes it look totally natural and no one will ever know. And that's why the big black thing with all the debris around it is there to show them exactly what could happen if they don't mind their P's and Q's, or as the Intel folks used to say to me, stay on the reservation. Can I interject something? By all means, yes. Um, I'm looking at the year six and the the lighter one, where you can actually see the pattern in that device. And it looks like some kind of piping or tubing. Uh, What if this is uh, a TR3B as they challenged gravity of Jupiter, seeing how well it could perform, and it had a catastrophic failure. Yeah, but it wouldn't be visible at Jupiter. It would have to be half a million miles away. Yeah, but it, it may have been thrown past Jupiter. Yeah, but it would never reach, it, it would never reach the field of view of, of, of Webb. The, the, remember, the field of view of Webb is like a rice grain held on your thumb at arm's length. These images are incredibly tiny. That's why they have to take so many to make a mosaic. No, there's no way that that could be what we're looking at. It's a real why, anomaly. Why couldn't it be? Why couldn't it be that if it if it's been there for a long time, heading in the direction where um, Webb is looking at, 
it could have reached this point where, yeah, it's at a point where it could be visible to the web. And the odds are infinitesimal. Just do the numbers. Take an envelope and start calculating. And I'll... Uh, Point of order, Mr. Speaker. Yes, uh, I think that, yeah, uh, I think the screen door is the best metaphor. There can't be anybody out there that has never looked through a camera or a pair of binoculars through a screen, like a screen door. And what happens to the screen door when you focus on it? You see the screen door. What happens when you focus on the bird outside or whatever it is you're looking at? You can't see the screen door anymore. It's not in the focal. It's not in the focal plane, uh, or the FOV for that matter. And uh, that's which is what you're trying to say. And so, Keith, yeah, no, they'd never. That's that's an alignment problem of getting something in the right place at the right time and hyper schmiper dimensional. It's you're not going to pull that off. It's, okay. They, they the, took, this this you, was intentional. Yeah, and let me let me again. I like numbers because that's what science is based on. Jupiter is now in opposition. What does that mean? It means it's opposite the uh, Earth from the Sun. So at around midnight, if you look, you know that bright thing on the high on the in the sky, that's Jupiter. So it's directly behind the Earth. It's half a billion miles beyond L two, where Webb is a million miles beyond the Earth. You know, it's only a million miles. That's 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 one five hundredth of the distance to Jupiter. You wouldn't you wouldn't. There's no way that it could be in the field of view. Why? Because on a on a good night when Jupiter is in opposition, it has an optical width, meaning in the sky, in terms of degrees, of thirty arc minutes. Thirty arc minutes. Thirty arc minutes is one half of one degree. Thirty arc minutes is uh, I'm sorry 30 arc seconds what did I say minutes the moon is 30 arc minutes half a degree so this is so much tinier than even a crater on the moon the idea of lining up the shot so it's exactly in line when they take the picture which of course in this model you wouldn't know when it was going to be no the odds are just trillions to one as I tried to lay out a moment ago that this is accidental. No, this was designed. This was a image message to NASA. The question is, what's the message? I think the message is in all that cloud of debris because NASA freaks out when they see that kind of debris and they already got hit. So what is it that somebody does not want NASA with Webb to show us? That should be the real question. Right. Well, you need all the pieces of evidence and you, you, Nobody's brought up again what Andrew pointed out, which I noticed too, which is it's got dimensionality to the debris field. It stretches away from you when you look at it. Well, that's an you know, impression, but we picture. don't really know that. Yeah, but it's not a phony impression. The thing is not – it is not flat. They are different sizes. The stuff near the fringes of the zone with the debris, the pieces are smaller, visibly smaller. That's too much coincidence to tolerate by mathematical standards, it is a three-dimensional area that we're looking at. You mean volume, and the volume, fact that volume, volume. Volume, thank you, perfect word. And the reason that some of them are bright on one side and not on the other is that it's debris. It is not covered with the super carbon black uh, right. selfie material right. or whatever. It's the, you're seeing the other side of it like somebody scraped your car. That, you basically, that basically, you know, fits with what I'm thinking. 
And it has to be relatively yeah. close. Otherwise, you wouldn't see that 3D effect because when you fragment something, you usually get most, most of the pieces are about the same size. So if, they're, if they look smaller in the image, it means they're farther away. That's where you get the impression of the 3D. It's actually grounded in real physics. And yeah, it's probably plating. And they, they would be like the tiles on the um, well, depending space upon how tailored or not, they'd be somewhat. Well, and again, we don't know what this object is. To me, given that mm -hmm. weird geometry at the bottom that looked like an engine bell, it seemed to mm -hmm. me that they just grabbed uh, another spent upper stage from somewhere orbiting the sun, moved it into line of sight, did something to make it, you know, fragment, and then laid that out because fragments to web that close are terrifying. They've spent $10 billion and 20 years building this thing, and somebody is threatening to destroy it. Richard? That, yes? Sorry, are you finished? Sorry, I don't want to... No, yeah, yeah, yeah. go ahead, go ahead. Well, this is getting really eerie because not only are we looking at <laughs> Clark's, you know, Jupiter 2001, you know, the original Sentinel novel, uh, which mm -hmm. what, which well, Richard, you probably get into it better. I mean, the 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 monolith was originally going to be a tetrahedron, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. And I mean, you have all these memes going on. Now we're talking about the web uh, uh, um, um, mirror, which eerily looks like the satellite from Diamonds Are Forever, that very famous uh, Bond film. Oh, yes, been. yes. That's and true. Been, and remember what the premise of that story was, the, the uh, evil guy, I mean, they were going to establish, take all the finest human beings out into space and then poison the planet with a virus. Mm -hmm. And remember, Amsterdam, and is not the Netherlands pretty prominent right now in the news, had a huge piece in that film. I, I can't believe that, that, that like all of these themes that are coming up, that, because the, the whole Amsterdam angle was was the diamonds and James Bond went there under an alias to be, you know, to meet somebody to get these diamonds and, and it, it, there was all these these things going on. I mean I I it's kind of blowing my mind as you guys speak because we, it's it's like we've we've reenacted this on some in some place before, you, you know what I mean? Like in, in our, I mean, I haven't done an analysis deeply here, but I just, I can't believe it. And remember in, in Diamonds Are Forever, Bond is running across a lunar landscape where they're practicing these, 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 these um, I, I, it's unbelievable, Richard. I, I, I don't know if this has any meaning here and I know we're getting close to the, to the uh, bottom of the hour, but yeah, very interesting um, reverberations going on right now. Fascinating, fascinating, fascinating. So, Robert, you've been very quiet. Uh, we want to talk about your uh, black sentinels and and uh, all that other good stuff when we oh, come yeah, back. Yeah, that's a perfect uh, yeah, segue. It's, it's a perfect segue. Andrew brought it up. That's it's what, not that's, just sentinel. It's 2010 as well. That's, what, that's that. what we try to do here is make connections. Okay, <laughs> I think it was Andrew who basically uh, brought up the fact that it is the uh, uh, bottom of the hour. Let me check my clock. Yes, it is. Okay. And so we're going to take a small break here. Um, given that Andrew introduced the subject, this is one of my favorite Bond movies. So you're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return.
Diamonds are forever. They are all I need to feed me. They can simulate to tease me. They won't leave in the night. I've no fear that they might hurt me. Diamonds are forever. And then correct it. Touch it, stroke it, and undress it. I can't see every part, nothing hides in the heart to hurt me. I don't need love. For well, what good will love do me? Diamonds are forever Sparkling round my little finger Unlike men, the diamonds linger Men are mere mockings who are not worth going to your grave for I don't need The other side of midnight.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hoagland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcast that provides you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. Welcome back, everyone, on this Sunday night, uh, grading gently into Monday morning in the next 30 minutes or so. Welcome to our version of The Other Side of Midnight's Wild, Wild West, because I'm telling you, what we're talking about tonight is really, really, really wild. Is NASA being blackmailed? And are we seeing the evidence of blackmail on the screen 
and is the reason they're putting out this weird stuff is because they have no other choice but to try to get someone in the real world out here who is not censored, who is not being threatened, who is, shall we say, a bit more um, courageous or maybe foolhardy to venture the ideas that they are thinking but they cannot talk about because someone is blackmailing them. Welcome back, everyone. Let me welcome my guest back in here. Uh, Before we move on to something even weirder, and I know tonight it's going to be hard to top what we've talked about so far, but I think we can top it. Anybody have any final words on big black thing at Jupiter or the big red thing sucking the guts out of the great white spot in the infrared image? Yes, Richard, I do. I wanted to... So in the first... uh, uh, I guess a half hour of the show or hour when, you know, you do your, your bit and then. And then. And then. Did we lose Andrew? And then? He, went, he muted. Oh, sorry. My finger touched the thing. Um, I, I scan my drawing and then I take it into Photoshop. Just bear with me for a sec. So when I put that drawing into my scanner and I was sitting listening to you guys, my scanner wouldn't work. It was on, it's plugged into the computer and it refused to scan. I had to reboot the whole thing. And, and I, I'm scanning all my art all the time because I'm sending it all over the planet. When I, when I do my storyboards, I, I, you took the hard copy, which you obviously took a picture of and sent it to us. You took the hard copy and tried to scan it and the scanner wouldn't scan it. No, it wouldn't scan. It said it's not recognizable. And I'm like, what do you mean it's not? I've been scanning everything like all day long and, and all this. I, you know, Richard, you talk about some of your weird you know, moments that happen. I know Robert's had issues and maybe we bring these things on ourselves, but I was innocently putting it in. And I just thought I'd add that little anecdote here because it was a very strange moment. It worked. I turned it off and turn it on again, and then it all booted back up. But for that brief second, and just bracketing what you're saying about who out here is courageous to start at least thought-provoking questions like the ad on the other side of midnight says, and these weird things happen. So (laughs) just a little bit. Hmm. I got one leftover question. Uh, Which way is the blackmail pushing? In other words, is this like the POW that is giving the forced confession on video for his uh, captor's benefit and he's blinking out a message uh, yeah, like the famous Commander more, Booker in 1968, who'd been captured yes, and, with, a, and, with an intelligence ship in too close to uh, North Korean waters, and the whole crew right. was paraded out. And people may not know the story, Ron, so I want to tell the background. Otherwise, it doesn't mm. make sense. And while he was parroting the North Korean script after they'd all been beaten and flogged and you know the terrible things the North Koreans used to do to prisoners, still do, he was blinking Morse code with his eyes. This is all bullshit. Don't believe a word of it. Yeah. 
it, it, that's been replicated many times, and it's been in a lot of movies. So I figured people probably. Well, it was a real world event back when I just was joining Concrete. Con- Cronkite. Mm-hmm. Concrete. Concrete, yes. Good old concrete. <laughs> hey, do you know his name yeah. means sickness in German? Yes, I do. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. Uh, the uh, anyway, is it uh, for the bed to get them to push them uh, the pressure, the blackmailing? Right. Uh, is the intent to make NASA open up and deal with this stuff, or is this a reaction to an attempt to suppress their internal desire to expose everything? And their small That's efforts the in that direction. Which we will get yeah, to shortly. I, That's an excellent question, Ron. And frankly, I don't know. Is it a, is it a mm-hmm. cattle prod or is it a come hither? I somehow don't yeah. think that positive things are 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 impelled with a with a whip and a cattle prod. <laughs> no. Well, you haven't been to one of my parties. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Okay. Can we yeah. move on? Anybody else? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Item number eight. What I've been noticing, and the reason that I'm voting that they're being deterred from doing something dumb, like letting us all in on the big secret so that we are on the same page and we can move forward to this new age of enlightenment, is because of what you see in item eight and, uh, I'm sorry, nine. What did I say? I meant nine and 10 and 11. So let me take them in order. A few weeks ago, this mission that I've been looking forward to for a very long time, which is a big unmanned spacecraft loaded for bear with all kinds of incredible instrumentation. The project scientist is a very bouncy gal who is dying to get out there and see what this thing is. It's the first unmanned NASA mission from its launch from 1958 when President Eisenhower created this civilian space agency. It's the first unmanned mission which is going to be sent on a mission directly to an asteroid that's 140 miles in diameter that appears to be pure, solid platinum. I mean, repeat that. An asteroid 140 miles wide, think of it as a sphere, you can do the calculation, how many cubic miles, made out of heavy metals and platinum. And if it was such, you can do the calculation, it's literally worth God knows how many quadrillion dollars in the current market. Now, if it was all brought back to Earth at once, you'd flood the market and like diamonds, you'd you'd destroy the platinum market. So the idea would be someday to go and mine bits of it and use it for like converters and other industrial things and maybe depending on which consortium has the contract, begins feeding small amounts into the economic sphere of Earth. As the economy expands, the value maintains. And so you've got enough platinum, you know, forget the gold standard. We could literally rest the entire uh, economic monetary system of planet Earth on the amount of rich, incredibly rich ores and materials proposed to be in this asteroid, which is called Psyche. So NASA, several years ago, uh, adopted this proposal. They've now spent something like $700 million 
building the spacecraft, testing the spacecraft, you know, all kinds of vibrations and vacuum and testing. It's all ready to go. It was supposed to be launched in a couple of weeks. And then suddenly NASA called a screeching halt because they said the software to run the damn thing is not ready. And they're not only discussing a postponement, they're actually talking active termination after they've spent almost a billion of taxpayer money. And I look at this and I'm saying, what the hell? Obviously, Psyche may not be a solid platinum core of an asteroid at all, but in fact may be the best preserved 140-mile-wide metallic ancient spacecraft known in the solar system, and somebody does not want NASA to A, find out, and B, certainly tell the rest of us. The floor is open. Uh, they got the software from the Ferengi. <laughs> That's a good one. Because, yeah, well, remember the, uh, remember the closest thing to, uh, to financial anything in the Star Trek universe because of uh, your friend Roddenberry's insistence that there wouldn't be any money. Uh, was they had to have trade goods for things like Deep Space Nine, and so they came up with latinum. Gold fresh latinum. I always loved that. Yeah, you know. gold, but yeah, a liquid form of a, a liquid state of, of platinum, which could not be replicated by their replicator stuff. Well, that's just engineering. Anyway, okay. Yeah. Uh, so you're thinking what? Why would uh, why I, would someone not want NASA to go and visit a platinum asteroid? A core of an ancient th- planet. I'm thinking that this implies that NASA would really like to tell everybody everything from their standpoint. You mean some and, people in NASA? Yeah, but driving forces in that they structure a whole bunch of projects, numerous of which uh, would lead to something like an encounter with Psyche. And if it if it is a battered but shiny ship sitting there, that would be kind of a that would lend a sort of finality to the whole issue about other life. Oh, are you kidding? And so they had they, they try as many of those as they can it's, and it, it, don't it, usually get to pull them off. It, it would be game match set. But see, this is what I don't understand because there are all kinds of ways. We've known this for half a century. There are all kinds of ways to you know um, uh, disappear your lover, like you launch the mission. It's halfway there, and it just disappears. Aw, something broke, like Mars mm-hmm. Observer, right? No fuss, right. no must. You've spent all the money. All the contractors are happy. The Congress is happy. The scientists are terribly unhappy uh, because they're not going to get another billion dollars to do it again, probably. But at least it goes away, and there are no fingerprints. Why, when you've spent so much money, do you basically say, not only can we not launch next year, because they're claiming that they didn't have time to kind of finally test the software. Well, the opportunity to get to Psyche comes around every year. You know, just make another orbit of the sun. You're in the same geometric position relative to Psyche, and you launch a year later. Why are they talking about cancellation, termination, a billion dollars down the chute, poof? 
because well, why they, don't you run down a list of all the other things they've canceled recently? No, no, it no. Maybe tied I'm, more I'm, into I'm, that. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get there. I think it's a budget problem. They don't have any more money. No, they've already they spent the money. money to Ukraine. They've already mm-hmm. give me a break. Are you kidding? Money is is just you just print it. Come on. Standard mm-hmm. economics. We left standard economics when we entered hyperspace many decades ago. So no, they've already spent the money. It's not that they are going to be on the hook. And the software problem they claim, I mean, you know how many supercomputers the government owns tonight, yeah. right now? Do you know how many at Ames alone they own? You mean to tell me that they can't, with a supercomputer, compress two weeks into three days with a, 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 a you know, a million teraflops per second or something? No, it's a, it's a, it's a stupid excuse to hide the fact that someone does not want to even lift off. So my question is, why not let it lift off and then kill it? Why kill it in the crib where everybody's going to notice? Maybe how you kill it was part of NASA's internal mutiny. So they're killing it in a most blatant, obvious, stupid way. So someone, again, outside asks the dumb question, why don't you just get a few supercomputers? That's a good point. Yeah, it makes no sense. Item number no. two. I sound like, uh, what was that guy who used to do that show on Sunday mornings? John, John, oh, what was his name? He was a news guy. He would always shout his questions. Item number two. Number 10. This week, li- well, last week, literally NASA suddenly postponed another critical mission, this one to Artemis, to Gateway, to the whole going back to the moon, setting up a moon base at the South Pole, you know, using the water on the moon that we now know is there. This was a mission called VIPER, which is a, uh, an acronym. VIPER stands for volatiles, and you can read the rest in the article. And they are claiming they need another year to test the vehicle that's going to carry the Vi- little VIPER rover down to the South Pole of the moon to begin hunting for ice and other volatiles and frozen this and frozen that. It'd be super cool to have, pun intended, to have on the moon so you didn't have to trek in all this stuff from Earth, which is incredibly expensive. It's called in situ resource management or ISRU or whatever you know acronym you want to make of that. Instead of, of um, any real excuse, they want a year. They were supposed to launch it this year. It was supposed to get there in in December of 2023. It now will not get to the moon in the new schedule until December of 2024. Remember, uh, um, uh, Trump's original deadline for uh, Artemis was 2024 uh, before the election. And NASA told him, and mainly it was COVID, that they couldn't make the deadline after they really, really, really tried. So it's now slipped to 2025. So I'm looking at a pattern where the support elements around Artemis, remember, to take human beings to the moon, Americans back to the moon, and to send them to the most amazing place that will reveal ruins all around, which is either the North or the South Pole. And we know that because of the lacrosse mission and some of those images, they've just postponed the inevitable and, of course, in the year-long whatever, 
anything could happen. You know, they could get basically killed in the budget cycle. Although for some reason, the NASA office that's in charge of this has allocated already almost 70 million additional dollars for testing. So money is not the object. It's, it's, I think, delay, delay, delay. Because remember, in the ritual model of NASA doing certain things on a calendar, if you miss your window, you miss your arcane hyperdimensional, you know, surfing, surfs up, uh, kicking the seat of the pants to make whatever your objective is happen in their ritualistic little minds. So maybe by delaying a year, someone thinks they're putting the kibosh on the whole program, and that is debatable. Thought? Or maybe they're resynchronizing it to to a uh, to an important uh, date that was previously discarded under pressure. I, I don't buy most of the uh, most of the conceptual explanations that deal with uh, well, like werewolves sprouting sprouting their fur uh, under the full moon. I don't think that those ritual schedules function that way. I, I, I just don't believe it. I don't believe that it's only can happen on a certain day kind of stuff. There's a metaphysical explanation or support for that, but in a scientific basis, no. And isn't this a little device? The Viper, isn't it more like a CubeSat? No, 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 no. It's like, it's, like, it's, like, it's like Percy or Curiosity. It's a full-blown rover, which has to oh, operate okay. in the most – well, see, you haven't even heard of it. It's been flying below the radar. Yeah. But with a name like yes, Viper, that. Robert, I thought the name like Viper and the whole kind of um, – uh, uh, snake-like background to NASA in some areas might appeal to you? Oh, yes, that's a nice uh, segue into uh, snakes on the moon and snakes on Mars, of course. Uh, it's forth. a strange name. I, I see volatile uh, investigations, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah. I, I okay, let me, uh, let, let, me do two more, let me do two more, and then I want to go to the Black uh, Knight or whatever, okay? Okay. Item number yeah. 11. As if this one enough, when I told Andrew this afternoon, he yelled into the phone, what? NASA literally a couple, three days ago, delayed the next crewed mission, crew number five, to be launched on a Falcon 9 in a Musk Dragon spacecraft to rendezvous with the International Space Station to rotate the crews. I don't mean that physically in space, but to bring... You know, the guys there and gals that are there now and to bring a new crew up, which would be crew number five. They had to delay from August to September over a month the effort to do this because and you're not going to believe this. I didn't believe it when I read it. Their truck carrying the Falcon 9 rocket assembly hit a bridge, hit an overpass tried to pass through one of those things that has a sign that says 13.7 feet clearance. They literally drove into the abutment, destroyed the bridge, damaged the transfer stage on top of the Falcon 9. They're checking out the booster now, but everything is going to take them a whole month to recycle. And it's like someone behind the scenes says, look, we got to have a delay. I don't know why, but someone says, well, wait a minute. Why don't we get Sam to just, you know, drive into a damn bridge? They won't be able to blame him. 
because they'll they'll they can blame it on anything. You know, the truck malfunction. <laughs> no, they will blame it. <laughs> Absolutely, they, they're going to blame. They will Sam. blame Sam. Yes. Well, Sam was dumb enough to do it because look, back during Apollo, we were carrying rocket stages and command modules and all pieces of spacecraft all over the country. You know, NASA politically tried to to put pieces of the hardware in every major state so that, you know, the Congress was happy and the president was happy and constituents were happy and jobs were spread across the South. So they were trucking things back and forth, up and around. They never hit any bridges. Now, as Andrew said, he can't get into his car without the damn thing lighting up like a Christmas tree because of all the sensors that keep it from hitting anything, including the stray cat behind it when you can't see through the camera. This truck, which has been driving these routes, because they've been doing this for a very long time, they literally hit a bridge abutment by trying to take a 20-foot tall stack and slide it into a 13-foot tall space. Come on. Doesn't sound reasonable to me. I mean, even as I... No, I I have off the top of my head... uh, uh, a physical explanation that the heat wave in Texas has been so hot that it over inflated and stretched the tires. That's the only rational explanation I would have. Because yep. I don't really want it to be sabotaged. Why not? Why not? Well, it's, it wasn't, it, wasn't. It, it's, it's been designed to delay the mission. I'm mm-hmm. looking at a pattern of delay, delay, delay. Like something is really important going to happen between now and the end of September, right? It, it can't be NASA doing that. We don't know. Why would they dam- to damage your own spacecraft and risk? Yeah, but it's only money. All they do, but ultimately, ultimately, Ooh, ultimately, ultimately what they do, because remember, Musk is reusing boosters. All they do mm-hmm. is take the next one in line and prep that yeah. one. They don't even have to use this one. He's got a whole stable, remember? Right. It's no single source. So it's really, but it delays. They want to buy time. Where have we seen that before? Government trying to buy time. It's it's indicating to me that something to do with Artemis and the mission around the moon, they had to delay the replenishment of the crew on ISIS because of something to do with Artemis. And I'm expecting any time now, uh, that that was going to be delayed. Remember, they've they've said it's going to be on the morning 33, um, which is 7:33 Houston time a.m. If you simply add 12, you get 19.5. Okay, so they're launching on a ritual time, at least in their minds. But why would they might want to delay it? And this gives them a kind of a track record of well, things are happening. It's so complex. We can't really, so maybe the whole window for Artemis is going to also, down the road, be delayed. Finally, and then we'll get in the next segment to the Black Knight, item number 13. Uh, I'm sorry, 12, 12, okay? Um, they launched a little CubeSat weighing 55 pounds a couple, three weeks ago, which is a precursor mission to the bizarre backward orbit that the gateway space station orbiting the moon which is part of the colonize the south pole of the moon put a moon base down there it's it's integral it's critical without gateway basically an isis and lunar orbit they can't do all the neat stuff they want to do 
with the SLS and uh, Artemis, et cetera, et cetera. So these are like links in a chain. If you break one link, the whole chain is, is, in, is in jeopardy. So they launched a little capstone a couple of weeks ago, and it launched perfectly, went into orbit, went into the first burn to send it on this four-month-long ultra-low energy to the moon. And after 11 tetrahedral hours, it disappeared. And it didn't come back for like 24 hours. Suddenly, it came back on. It was there. Now, what was happening in those 24 hours? Was it deliberately killed? Was it another message? For God's sake, when you go to the moon, you can't do this, 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 and this. And don't you ever dare show Hoagland's ruins, okay? Here's an important data point. As it's, as it's moving away from Earth, it's in touch with what's called the Deep Space Network, these huge antenna systems that were used during Apollo, that were used on interplanetary missions, that are being, they're downlinking the web images, they're spaced equilaterally around the Earth, so as the Earth turns, one antenna system will always see a spacecraft or the moon above the horizon. When you go to link number 12 and click on the uh, press release by the company that NASA contracted with for Capstone, they say right in the first paragraph that a technician at NASA's Deep Space Network inadvertently sent a command to Capstone to, wait for it, turn off the radio. I'm going to repeat that. After 50 years of doing this, a technician under NASA contract deliberately turned off the radio of the Capstone mission, and it took them 24 hours to sort the problem out. Now, if you believe that, I've got a bridge somewhere in Arizona <laughs> that I want to sell you. I mean, this is an unbelievable series of coincidences, feasance, you know, blatant hinting, doing something really dumb and stupid in public so somebody will desperately outside ask, why are you doing something so dumb and stupid? And none of the press, none of the mainstream press people that have covered NASA like glue on, you know, the back of an old postage stamp, none of them have asked any questions about any of what we've discussed just this evening. Are they all dumb? Are they all, as uh, I think it was Ron who said, uh, I'm being too kind. They're literally lapdogs. They're programmed. They wouldn't know a real question to ask NASA if, if it bit them in the you-know-what? Or is it part of a much more complicated dance to be resolved when we return? You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland, and we shall be back after a word from our sponsor, which is us. Stay tuned.
Welcome back, everyone. It is the witching hour here in the land of enchantment. There's a gorgeous gibbous moon out there shining on our sparkling deserts, particularly down by White Sands, where the magnesium, I mean, it's brilliant by moonlight. If you if you have a bucket list and you want something really amazing to um, do for a girlfriend or a boyfriend, take them to White Sands and take a picnic and sit out there in the summer under the stars and a gorgeous moon in the middle of hundreds of square miles of incredible, glistening, land of enchantment, sands. It'll give you a whole new perspective on Werner von Braun and his motley crew back right after World War II, when they were posted there in the middle of a desert. Anyway, back to our panel tonight. Before we get to uh, uh, Robert's Black Knight, any any thoughts on uh, all these cascading patterns of weird delayed missions and what I seem to think are obvious messages do not go beyond the reservation? I have one. Go ahead. In the spirit, in the spirit of Willem of Ockham, I have to point out that the uh, the explanation given about the heat wave, which is undeniably going on there, swelling the tires enough to cause a clearance problem is actually fairly credible because I've seen it happen, not with a rocket, but I've seen some very big expensive things tear a hole in a bridge because they were just a couple of inches too big. They cut those tolerances very close. Yeah, no, it's not no, like no, there's no, a big no, gap. No, 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 no. NASA would not. NASA would never, ever trust Remember, this is the agency that spends billions of dollars thinking of all the unthinkable things that could happen, including a meteorite striking the road right in front of the rocket so they have to stop. They would never send a vehicle on which humans, a man-rated vehicle on which humans were going to ride under an overpass where it only misses by a couple of inches. And they would not vary the route. I mean, back during Apollo, they literally uh, – did careful surveys so that every avenue, when the, when they drove the shuttle from you know uh, up up to um, uh, Edwards, they they literally took down bridges and buildings to make sure there would be nothing touching those wings that 
incredibly fragile tile. So no, they have the money, they have the resources. Hell, they've got the contract with the the richest guy in the world. This is so stupid, so outrageous. And when it happened, nobody would say anything. It was leaked out as an internal memo only to NASA. They didn't even write a press release for the general public, and there are no pictures. And, of course, what's the first thing that happens when anything happens these days? Everybody wants to take a selfie. And you don't think a big rocket stuck under a bridge would make one hell of a picture? Nothing is out there. Nobody documented this because it was never supposed to happen. So how did it happen? Uh, Richard, you're acting like this is uh, a rare uh, transport, but actually if you read the article, it says that all the rockets and engines are sent over from the Hawthorne. I know, uh, I know, I know, but how, many of them, but how many of them run into bridges? This is well, the first one. Well, they've running on the same bridges through this whole program is the point I'm making. This is... This is just a really freaky thing, and uh, unless it was done deliberately to delay. Unless it was done deliberately, but they all the rockets that he sent up have been sent under that bridge along those same highways to transport them to the testing facility in McGregor, Texas. So we need uh, a lot more probably on the same truck. The guy who turned off the radio get fired because that would give us the answer to the question. If it was a mistake, okay, he gets fired. But if he still got his job, then... Yeah, but given how incredibly important Capstone is to Gateway and how critical Gateway is to Artemis and how critical Artemis is to the entire future existence of NASA... I don't think the guy sending the wrong signal because they practice. Why do you think they have all these tests? Endless tests, endless, endless, because you don't want stupid F-ups at the last minute. No, this obviously was for 11 ritual hours. Come on. Well, my, my gut instinct tells me that they shut it down to NASA and the public while some military finagling or synchronization is happening or some kind of military uh, maybe, oversight maybe. for 24 hours. I think they just turned it off and said, look, unless you play ball with this, we ain't going to ever turn it back on. And, of course, there is no backup. Without Capstone in this weird orbit, which is so weird and hyperdimensional, they have to physically fly an experiment. They can't do theory, multivalent problems and vectors and all that kind of celestial mechanics stuff they normally do. They wanted a real physical spacecraft to fly this trajectory before they thrust human beings in gateway orbiting the moon in this exact same orbit. And somebody, I think, took it dark and said, if you want it back, you must sign this, 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 and this. You will not do so-and-so and so when you're at the moon. Now, of course, that's you. So you think the story of the guy turning off the switch is hokum totally. Oh, Totally. Because okay. under, right. under any circumstances, it would never be allowed to happen. Anybody yeah. that tyro, that novice, that idiotic, that stupid, that that's an amateur would not Next. have a job at NASA at the DSN. Richard, there is another another possibility. Oh, Andrew, go ahead. Yeah, I mean you've Please. written and. Many times in your books, uh, Dark Mission, uh, you know, your articles about NASA, the Masons, the magicians, and the Nazis. What if this is a lot more closer to home, or if there's some kind of coordination going with someone here and someone out there, to smoke finally these critters out of NASA? 
I mean, that's another possibility. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, anything's open for interpretation now. What do you What do you think? It's look. We have too many choices and too little data. I'm just looking at yeah. patterns. I look at patterns. I'm seeing a delay, 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 and particularly with Capstone, um, it's such an interesting mission that it would be one that you would threaten because it's capable of doing more than they. All I'll say is it's capable of doing more than they have advertised. And I, I'm wondering if someone besides me figured that out. And um, this story's not done. I'm going to continue yeah. the story. Anyway, Robert, talk to us about the Black Knight. Go back to the very beginning and relate how it is directly in the center of the runway to all the weirdness we've been discussing okay. tonight. What's you the the Black Knight is the last link in a very long chain that goes back over a hundred years. And it starts with a long delayed echo. The Tesla and Marconi both recorded receiving. And this is an echo of one fifth to one seventh of a second, but as long it can be as long as uh twenty seconds. Sometimes it's repeating. Okay, patterns. You, have, you, have, you have to define what you mean by echo. They okay. they, they, so, they sent a signal. Tesla, Right. Tesla and Marconi making the first radio broadcast started uh, getting uh, echoes of their own signals coming back. And they had a delay that would place the object about one third of the distance between the Earth and the moon farther on beyond the moon. Yeah, if you send a radio signal to the moon and bounce it off like radar, it takes about right. one and a quarter seconds for the right. signal to get out and then come back. Exactly. So they reported getting these seven-second delays. And, uh, well, that would put it way beyond the moon. Yeah, that's right. Now, here's the other part. The, the different times when this long-delayed echo is picked up varies, showing that whatever object is causing the echo is maneuvering, moving around. Sometimes it's one-third of the distance beyond the moon. Sometimes... It's across the moon in another section of the sky. So it's coming back from different directions and at different uh, distances. So in 1927, um, a Norwegian uh, researcher picked up signals and began recording them. And I sent uh, Keith a, a link in the chat to replace the link that's there about the long delayed echo. Um, it's very detailed. The link that I sent is by a Russian scientist who gives the uh, whole history. It's about 50 pages long. Is, I think is, is this number two or number three or four? Uh, where, oh, this, no, is, this is number four. Yeah. Yeah. So Russian, Omsu, Omsk, Russia. That's right. That's, yeah. That's the author's name. Well, this guy compiled 50 pages on the entire history of the long wow. delay. That, wow. So, a very scientific uh, uh, approach and verbatim, uh, uh, well recorded. You know all of the statements of all the different scientists. It's a very professional paper, so I recommend it to everyone. So, so just so people understand, radio mm -hmm. waves, whatever wavelength, whether it's radar or uh, short wave or television or whatever, travels at 186,000 miles per second, give or take, just like light. So, given mm -hmm. that you know the speed of the signal. The time delay tells you automatically where you are in the Earth-Moon system, and since it's one and a quarter for an echo from the moon, 
seven seconds is an eternity and means the object then was you're not saying these were actual echoes. I think what you're saying is well, somebody 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 took the signal somebody took the signal and then they rebroadcast it back. Otherwise uh, otherwise if it was a real echo, it would be so down in the noise you'd never hear it. It has to be maybe. a transponder. Because that's what I was going to because say. Even the Something. moon when 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 Project Diana back in nineteen forty six for the first time in our culture, bounced radar waves off the moon yeah. from Port Monmouth, New Jersey, which is across mm-hmm. the river, kind of south of you there, Robert. <clears throat> yeah. It it took them months and months to figure out that they actually got a signal with 1946 World War II radar equipment. So this is not echoes, uh, like yeah. a, like like a bounce. This is yeah. a rebroadcast back to us. So the signal strength is detectable. Richard, since you brought up that era, I'd just like to reminisce a moment. I saw What's My Line, and I saw Dorothy Kilgallen guess the uh, profession of a gentleman who came in and answered the questions. She would ask him a question, and he'd he'd make a beep, and uh, it was delayed. And the panel, Dorothy Kilgallen and uh, Bennett Cerf and John Daly, Aldine Francis, they had to guess his profession and what he did. And of all the things, Dorothy Kilgallen guessed that he was a radio technician and that he was answering her questions by pressing a button that was bouncing the signal and his answer from the moon. Oh, my. She was really sharp. Amazing? She was so yeah, she's, she's the gal who started opening the UFO box, and they killed her. Right. They murdered yeah. her. Yeah. Absolutely. We should do a show in tribute. We to should. Um, we definitely sometime. should. Yes. But let me get back to the long delayed echo. So this sets up the mystery. Marconi and uh, and Tesla both uh, received signals from outer space. Then with more sophisticated radios in the 20s, 30s, and 40s, uh, various uh, professional radio engineers and scientists started to monitor this long delayed echo, which seemed to indicate that there was some object out there beyond the moon that was maneuvering around hither and thither, different distances and different uh, directions. Comes to 1947, the Roswell crash and the Air Force, U.S. Army Air Force actually at the time, they were still one thing, uh, asked astronomers around the world to try to track UFOs and find out what was going on. And astronomers and radar operators reported that some object had taken an equatorial orbit. I thought it was a polar orbit. Because I remember radio, not radio, but newspaper stuff at the time. There was, because everybody was talking about satellites and Sputnik and our stuff and all that. So there was right. something in the newspaper. There's a 10-year-old kid, i.e. Mm-hmm. me, remembered mm-hmm. reading about this weird satellite that was orbiting pole to pole even before any Earthmen had launched anything into something called an orbit. Right. Well, that would be more advantageous, so I'll go with that, because if you have an equatorial orbit, you only uh, scan one... Exactly. Right under you, around the equator. Yeah, and when you do the the polar orbit, where Earth is turning under you, you can access any point on the Earth. Well, be that as it may... The scientists reported that they spotted a UFO or a series of UFOs that were taking orbital um, orbits around the Earth 
and then would change positions. They would replace them and they would go away. So the Air Force asked them, asked the astronomers. Um, this was to, before Sputnik. And, oh, long before Sputnik. Yeah, this, yeah. We're talking about 1949, yep. 47, 48, 49, 50. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the big astronomer's uh, name over there at Harvard? Uh, Men- Menzel, Dr. Menzel. Dr. Donald he Menzel. He was a front man for the CIA. Yeah, of and course. There were so many. The whole Robertson panel were frontmen. And he wrote and, several um, um, knocking books about UFOs. Yeah, right. And you know what? He wrote a book debunking UFOs, and it became the best-selling science book in Russia. <laughs> <laughs> tells you what uh, the objective was. But anyway, Menzel was part of this big cover-up. He was uh, brought in to the orbit of MJ-12, and they had to keep silent. He, he, he was like Batman. By day, he was this mild-mannered you know, Harvard professor who hated anything non-scientific. And by night, right. he was a double agent for the CIA up to his eyebrows in UFOs. And you know who else was? Uh, William, um, Louis Alvarez. Yes. Louis Alvarez. Uh, Whose son, Texas. Walter, is the dinosaur impact guy. At at uh, Berkeley, Cal Berkeley. That's right. He he and his son. Uh, and Louis stuck. Alvarez, the physicist, went to the Great Pyramid and took a muon detector and actually detected weird HD physics in the Great mm-hmm. Pyramid, but had no idea what he detected. All CIA guys. Yep. <laughs> you know, I have a letter written by um, by Louis Alvarez asking Dr. Menzel to keep their work for the CIA secret and off their courses vitae when the Robertson Report was uh, was written. Yes, the Robertson Report was the Flying Saucer Report. In 1954, that debunked everything. Yeah, this was the result of the overflights uh, of the White House in 1952. Do you know who I wound up working with and I didn't realize his CIA connections until after? I was a member of the Robertson panel. Thornton Page, the guy with the eye patch. Oh, yes, Thornton Page. And I went to him, and we set up an incredible experiment with Apollo 15 and the moon and the cameras. And right, he got it all the way through because they obviously thought it was a super idea. And then they claimed that they lost the camera right before the experiment. And, of course, now I know they just lied to me, and they carried on secretly, and they've got wonderful data from what I propose through Thornton Page. Yes. You know, we've just named a handful of scientists who were really, really black operators for the CIA. Yes. Were working in the orbit of MJ-12, asked that their uh, association with the CIA not be included in the curses vitae. Mm-hmm. And Louis Alvarez, my my other grudge against him, is he, he is one of the principal architects of the doctrine of the Zapruder film. Oh, really? Yes, he was the super-duper photographic and film expert at uh, Kodak. And that was his, his job on the uh, Robertson panel in 52, was photographic expert. In 1963, 64, 65, through 68, when they were doctoring the film, he was the principal. Um, Gestalt, remember I talk about... Oh, I discerned Gestalt psychology. Was oh, yeah, used. yeah. All, all about so misdirection and missing frames. And anyway, back yeah. to the Black Knight. Okay, so Thank back you. to the Black Knight. They found that uh, motherships, I'm going to call them that because it's a part of my jargon, were taking positions and deploying scout ships that would come down to the uh, 
the surface and do their thing, you know, make apparitions over villages or towns and abduct people, go and steal energy from uh, power plants, steal water from lakes. They, they were doing all these things. So, Robert, what year? What year was this? This is between 1947 and 1955. All those things that I've described with the CIA finding out that okay. people were having contact with the UFOs and with aliens. Contact with UFOs is one thing. Contact with aliens is the next level. Well, you mean but extraterrestrials. Both, aliens cases, have a different DNA. Let's be nomenclature. In both cases, the people came back psychically gifted. Yes. And they thought that these might be uh, sleepers that the aliens were programming sleepers who would one day wake up and and they also had mysterious effects on electronic equipment. Oh yes, something that uh, I've experienced myself for several times. Um, but anyway, I want to go back to the. Hang on, Ron, Ron. Ron had something you wanted to add. What was that? Okay. Ron? No, I was just uh, the electrical interference thing. Yeah, I experienced that myself. But uh, the um, it's it tends to come and go. Some people some people are like that when they're kids, and some when they're later. And I'm trying to think of which physicist it was that was famous for that. Uh, it wasn't Niels Bohr. It was somebody else in that of that ilk. But every time he walked into the lab, all the equipment would go crazy. Well, in the model that human beings are interrelated to the HD field. And most of us are really not plugged in. If that experience kind of amplifies that latent ability in the genetics or the whatever, after the experience, after the close encounter, after meeting with the ETs, the natural proclivity might come through more easily, which would account for these anomalous effects because electromagnetism is a subset of torsion field physics. So when did Black Knight become a satellite? Okay, well, that's, that's jargon. That's just jargon. Let me just tell you the rest of the story. Well, anything orbiting okay. the Earth is a satellite. doesn't matter where it's yeah, from or right. who built it. The government, but this is somebody orbiting the Earth in 1947 through 1955. Yep. So, so anyway, that it was a concern. And um, ultimately, it was spotted by astronomers. The echo comes and goes. When you say spotted, you mean optically with telescopes? Yeah, people would see it, including my friend Roy used to be an astronomer in uh, in, in Ohio. He still is. Uh, well, he was out there. My my, my friend and colleague, Alan Hynek, a name you'll yes. probably remember, he was in mm -hmm. charge of at Harvard, Harvard Smithsonian, the whole Baker Nunn wide-angle Super Schmidt camera network that NASA funded to monitor optically its first satellites and ultimately the Mercury spacecraft and all that. So yeah. did, did, did his camera system, the huge Baker Nuns, an amazing technological super, super camera, did they ever record the Black Knight? I don't think that he did. But let me tell you, Roy uh, Schaefer, who's a great friend of mine, famous uh, uh, JFK uh, and UFO researcher, he used to uh, go there to um, – he grew up in Dayton, so he'd go to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, where they had an observatory, and they were recruiting kids at the time. So he would go into this building that had uh, excellent uh, telescopes and even had uh, glass domes for uh, for bad weather so they could learn astronomy. And uh, so anyway, the, the thing comes and goes. It's a big mystery. And 
1996, the space shuttle encountered it. And I've included in the first picture is a four panel um, composite of the four shots that the space shuttle in, I think it was uh, ST-88 that uh, okay. got the picture. This is a video. It's not a still. It's a video. No, no. The, the first picture, I'm, I'm trying to get the pictures. I, I clicked on the first picture. It takes me to a video. Why does it take me to a video? Oh, no, no. The first picture should be a composite of that I sent. No, it's taking me to a video. I can't make the... I think I think he's got the link mixed up because we should amplify the the picture, make it bigger as opposed to the YouTube link. Yeah, yeah, he he, he he can make that change easily. It's just changing. Yeah, and also the, also the, the pointers. Uh, the last link that I sent. So the and, upper left panel, we can see it in small version on the on number the one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah, that that's a standalone picture. The the link to the Black Knight uh, video should be separate. But um, the be that as it may, uh, you can see it if you can enlarge your screen by holding Control and if you have a got it, can... got it. Okay, so there are these four photographs that were not released in 1996 when when they were taken. They were released about oh, let me see, I came across them about seven eight years ago. And they have the name the Black Knight, wow. and this is something that I describe it as a transformer. As I see it bolting, it's changing shape. And there is a fifth photograph of it before it entered orbit, and uh, semi semi uh, semi sunset light, right? not uh, not bright against the reflection of the sunlight off right. the earth. The clouds, it's actually up there. In the How dark. do we know it's only not a multiple multiplicity of objects? Well, because it's four sequential pictures that was, were taken by the, um, as the thing came in. So I believe what we're seeing, if you put the, the pictures in the right sequence, you see it coming in as a space vehicle. It's all shut in. And then like a clamshell opens up and sprouts wings and air brakes and goes through a metamorphosis list and knows it becomes... So it's like something out of Transformers. Exactly. I think that's where you get the idea for Transformers. Wait a minute. I'm hearing a discouraging word from Ron. Okay. No, I didn't. uh, No, no. You you mumble things. The sky left. Oh, that was... Yeah. The sky left some pictures of it. So the fifth uh, picture in the composite there, there are four of the Black Knight. Mm-hmm. And uh, one below, which is sparkling, looks like a, a the red, flare. the red, oh. the red yeah. spider. Yeah, that was supposedly taken by um, the Skylab. Now, do we have an actual paper trail? Do we have provenance for any of these images? I believe that there is, and that NASA NASA released the pictures. So, well, then, they, then, they, then they should be on some NASA website. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's important. Okay, let's go. Let's go on. I I did include. Um, okay, we got about so thirty seconds. Okay. Okay. The Black Knight seems to answer part of the questions about the long delayed echo, in that it is a, a craft that's capable of orbiting the Earth at close range, but can come and go far and near and on the other side of the moon, and move around. So it is a very likely uh, candidate to um, for the identity of that hidden object that is. Uh, scanning the earth 
at least for the last 120 years. And according to the video, this guy's compiled and maybe will have just may have been about the time we started sending radio waves. Okay, my guest this morning, um, I guess Ruggiero has not joined us as yet, but we've got Ron Gerbron and Andrew Curry and Robert Morningstar and more background on the Black Knight, which I find fascinating because it's following a kind of a pattern. Humankind develops radio in this era, begins to send out signals. Somebody shows up wondering who's home and what level of technology, and are they, meaning we, are we a threat? Everybody's always looking at things as, is it a threat? And we'll try to answer some of that when we come back. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. On this Sunday night, Monday morning, we shall return. other side of midnight.com talk radio with pictures on demand liberate your hyperdimensional time scale and non-linearly access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought join club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Listen while you travel or as an environment to your endeavors. Eight cents an episode, two and a half cents per hour of content. The other side is midnight.com. And welcome back, everyone. Last half hour to go on this Sunday night, Monday morning here in the land of enchantment. So have we been under surveillance ever since we began broadcasting through the work of Tesla and the copycat Marconi? Signals, some of which leaped through the ionosphere and escaped into space and are still going and going and going. When I was working for Cronkite, I used to get a kick out of telling him that when the, he did two news segments on, on television, which in those days was, you know, UHF or VHF. And I told him one afternoon, I said, you realize that you, you do this 15 minutes at like 6, 6.30. And by the time you do the 11 o'clock update, your 6 o'clock is crossing the outer boundaries of the solar system past the orbit of Pluto. And I'll never forget the look he gave. It was like he'd never imagined. I said, Walter, you are broadcasting to the Milky Way galaxy. 
and what you are saying will live forever, and someday someone may follow you home. He never got over that. I mean, the, the, I wish I had a camera. That picture. Anyway, my guest this morning, Ron Gerbron, Robert Morningstar, Andrew Curry. Um, uh, Andrew, what do you think of this whole Black Knight thing? Because I'm dying for someone to actually go back through the NASA files, find which missions, which photographs, and maybe do some sketches, because your eye can see more than... The rest of us, obviously. Yeah, well, you know what it recalls for me, Richard, um, and I'm not trying to duck your question. <laughs> okay. Uh, is I can ask it again. <laughs> well, it's the 2015 Pepsi commercial that used the Black Knight, um, well, to sell their product. But it was this whole idea that there was some sort of, uh, you know, overseeing race who was you know, basically going to unite humankind. Um, I don't know if you guys remember that. It was a pretty long, it was Usher, the, the singer Usher, I believe, did it. And, uh, you know, so this, this stuff has been used to, you know, promote product as well. But, well, yeah, to create sure. public memes. Yeah, You know, the exactly. best way you sell something is you hook onto <clears throat> a, 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 a people meme, and then every time someone sees something, they associate it with this other thing that really is in their memory. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it, you know what it feels like now so much? It feels like we've been preparing for Christmas. You know, it's like kids waiting, knowing that, you know, Santa's there or, or whatever is going to come. And then you're anticipating the morning and the, you know, well, if, if it's your tradition. Um, and there's Christmas gifts under the tree. And it's like, it's like we're, we've kind of entered the room now and started opening them. It really feels like that now, just in terms of, what's kind of, you know, kind of crashing through now or coming, well, crashing or exploding. You guys are all missing a hook, you know. What's that? Duncan Lunan. The Scottish I was going to bring up Duncan. Remember, he's in Monuments. When? Yeah. What do you mean? Yeah, okay. I, I have a half hour left to go. So you've introduced Ron, Ron uh, Duncan. Talk yeah. about Duncan Lunan. They mentioned him in that video, by the way. He's got a prominent role in identifying booties and Arturus as the source. But I'll let Ron tell the story. Yeah, well, no, I, I don't, I don't want to be the one telling the whole story because I don't have it scripted out in front of me. But I do remember that he abdicated his position at some point after spending years at that. And all of a sudden he said, oh, well, no, this is all wrong. I made a mistake or the picture was faulty. And so, you know, you're talking about blackmail and so on and so forth. And he didn't work for NASA, but that's a, that's a clear indication uh, that somebody talked to somebody and said, uh, Duncan, do you want to have a career? Uh, be a shame if your wife uh, got in an accident on the way home from work. Yeah, and, uh, and, and for those that may not be listening to Ron or remember, it is written down. I have the whole story of Duncan Lunan in the background is in the Monuments of Mars, all of the editions. So just look at the yes. index for Duncan Lunan. The story is there. So I was not ducking the idea of Duncan Lunan. Yeah. No, but it was just, you know, the um, I'm thinking of the banner for the show, Richard, <laughs> said, is NASA being blackmailed and everybody's getting caught up in minutia and how many people that they met at, uh, 
you know, when they were famous or something. It's not. Uh, no, it's not. No. It's called a conversation, Ron. Calm down. Okay. So, uh, Robert, what what what, yeah, what, Richard, what, you what know is the story of Duncan Murray? We'll just give a little synopsis. It's very intriguing how he thinks he deciphered the signals to point to Arcturus and Boötes. So yeah, and then the reason that's important is because Arcturus and Boötes was a huge constellation and a star called Arcturus in the whole Nazi pantheon thing of talking to ETs who basically gave them a whole bunch of secrets and promised they would win the war. That's why the blackmail aspect through Duncan Moonen, who of all the researchers who looked at this, I haven't obviously had time to read the Russian paper yet. I will. Do they point out that he decoded the one place in the sky that was to the whole Nazi pantheon of extraterrestrial input to make them a super race on Earth and own everything? And, of course, they're now, if they're real, they would be behind the breakaways. Well, they don't associate him directly with Nazis, but they give a, a good synopsis of how his he deduced the uh, the source of the signals and the by uh, identifying a numerical pattern. Oh, it was a it, it was a Sherlock Holmesian's worth decoding of something that had stumped yep. everybody else, and then as as Ron said, he he suddenly did a you know Saturday Night Live uh, church lady. Never mind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he was able to make a three-dimensional model. Yep. From two-dimensional information, which is basically the the time delay. Exactly. He translated the time delay in, in, into, into a 3D a code. Time uh, a time map, and from that he was able to uh, transpose it in, in his mind. Now we, you and I, I think, because we're good in geometry, we can see it. That's like taking some three-dimensional information that's embedded in a flat surface and looking at it, and all of a sudden you turn it on its side and it unfolds. And this video that I linked there does give a, a very nice and short synopsis explaining how he did it. But you know, he was Scottish, wasn't he? Yes. Wasn't he? Yes. 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 Well, you know what happens in Scotland when you get out of line scientifically. Well, I was always associating Scotland with the Scottish Rite masonry, the kind of... That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. That's okay. Uh, I want to bring our conversation out of Mars because the weirdnesses keep on coming. And since Ron has been at the forefront of the Martian weirdnesses, Ron, why don't you take yeah. it away and start with your item number one? Okay. Uh, yes, number one is nostalgia. It's a, <laughs> comp it's a couple of the pictures of the supposed shiny object. And, this um, is, a, it is a shiny object. Okay. Well, you objected to the terminology. Because I was thinking of it in a political context as a distraction, yeah. but it turns out to be something really shiny on Mars that should not be there. Right. But, and so there, people can see it from two different cameras. And the obvious question is, is it NASA? Is it something we brought with us with the rover, as NASA claimed? I, or is it something intrinsically Martian that we just happened to, or they just happened to photograph and then try to, uh, uh, dis, dis, what's that word, dissemble about? Yes. Uh, I think it's, 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 they, made, uh, they made hay of it as a distraction because actually everything else in that main frame, the, the left side there, uh, is uh, more interesting in a way than it is. 
it's a picture of some little shiny thing. Including the grand they, pianos in the foreground. I love those. They look like grand pianos. Ah. Well, yeah, it's definitely a sculptured edge, you know, or a sculpted edge. And the the things that are that are clutching, I think you called them uh, I-beams or something. Yeah. To me, they look like petrified wood where the shiny object itself is. Uh, and I still think there's lots of wood up there. Uh, you'll see. I'll be vindicated someday. <laughs> and... Uh, the, but it's there's no way that it got in there from the wind. It's wedged in there, and that's just not that. That to me is the part that isn't credible. You know, I would expect if they have a, if NASA has a piece of that material around, they would have shown it. They had a nice they had a nice color story alongside the article that they published about it about this lady that works as a seamstress in the lab in the well it's still a lab I guess in the in the office there where they make parachutes and padding and stuff like that. And uh, that was very good. God bless her. But they didn't have a picture of that you material. See, in the good old days, they would have taken a picture of the fabric with the little geometric dots. They would have shown its reflectivity, the fact that it matched exactly what was, you know, the contractor who makes the parachutes made the material out of. They put them side by side, take a picture and post it all over the Internet of course, they didn't have the internet way back when, but that's the NASA level of detail that they would have used to prove their assertion that, oh, this is something we brought with us. Now all they yeah, do, because they have lapdogs for, for press, they simply make the statement. Nobody questions them. Nobody says, well, guys, can you prove it? Because we're in another era. Yeah. Okay. And now for a speed, this is like speed dating. Okay, speed dating the pictures here. Number two, uh, from Curiosity, um, just to show that they can take they could take pretty pictures when they wanted to. You just have to blow it up and look at it, and then say, okay, how come is that a rock? Well, click click on it twice, and it blows up very nicely. Yes, and uh, it's plenty sharp, and it looks more like. Those things in Antarctica that uh, are referred to as ventifacts, meaning wind-sculptured, strange, aggressive yeah. forms, which I don't have a picture of here. But it's got sharp corners. It's got notches. It's got everything imaginable. It, you got your everything right there. And, um, okay, number three, uh, for all those people that want to outlaw them everywhere, They've already got guns on Mars because whatever that is lying on the ground, it looks like the remains of an automatic weapon. Blow it up. Take a look at it if you don't believe me. Uh, which see. thing am I supposed to be looking at? Well, the, the, it's a um, – the lower picture oh, you, you, is, you, 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 is the you full mean, frame. You mean the big thing that's got white on the right, looks like a handle in the barrel, looks double barrel on the left? Extended and a left. big old illegal magazine. Yeah, it looks like it looks like what's left. Of, yeah, the uh, larger okay. version. It's the right. same frame, larger, but it's certainly not just rocks. Anyway, that's uh, oh, that's number. Yeah, that's number three. Actually, it looks uh, more bio. See, this is the problem of trying to tell what this stuff is because it's so damn old. Mm-hmm. Eh, yeah, there's metal brackets and stuff. I but it, uh, I'm always up for you know life form things. Uh, like maybe the little piece of twine in number four is you know, a, This is um, my favorite composite comp- composition you've made so far. Because yeah, Ron really, really delved into the twine. A few days ago, yeah. NASA posted a picture and said, oh, look at this interesting little noodle or piece of spaghetti or twine on Mars. 
And then everybody picked up, well, a lot of people, not everybody, but enough. And so we started really doing a deep dive. And Ron went back and found um, on July 7th, Saul 490. Remember, Saul was a Martian day. It wasn't there. On 495, July 12th, which, by the way, is the same day that NASA released the web imagery, it was there. And then three days later on Sol 498, or July 15th on Earth, it's not there again. It's blown away, but you can see little scuff marks on the top of that one sand dune, like it blew like a tumbleweed, rested for a while, caught on that little rock, that little melange of stuff just to the left or right of the sand dune, and then it blew away, and we can't find it. Ron and I have scoured every yeah. damn square inch. We both independently looked. We've gone back, soul, forward soul. We can't see it anywhere. So it literally blew away in the wind. Yeah, it doesn't mean I haven't missed it, but I tried. I looked at everything I could think of, and I, so did Richard. See, the, this, uh, this is why and, this is important. The argument mm-hmm. over whether it's twine or something we brought with us, you know, more of the parachute, that kind of thing, irrelevant because the real story, as I said a couple weeks ago, something that big, that massive should not be able to blow anywhere on Mars in the Martian atmosphere that NASA insists is present, equivalent to 100,000 feet over the Earth. That thing is now heavy for any Martian winds, and it was there one day and gone three days later. Yes, and a picture from a different camera of the same piece of twine right next to the rover. See, it's been getting around, but that's from a nav cam uh, from 490. Uh, I'm trying to read my own print here without blowing the picture up, 495. So it's, oh, we're, uh, we're talking yeah. your image number five. Yes, so number five is a picture taken by the nav cam, which happened to be able to point right down at it. And so you can get a good look at it, blow it up, and you can see it plenty sharp, and it... It looks like twine. It could be nylon. It could be a. Uh, uh, I think they. I think they call it uh, ring cord or something like that. It's like it's a, a nylon cord that has a little ring that's you know in um, in it every so often so that you could tuck an end through it. You know, it's an alternative to zip ties. If you but really here's want to where things get really weird. NASA has ignored real anomalies or given out a stupid cover story. Like remember the door that was three inches high and made by, you know, Martian earthquakes. Um, Everybody else says it's a door. NASA says, no, it's just an earthquake crevice with this one. They talked about the little curly spaghetti or noodle or whatever. And then rather than dismissing it as just piece of the Rover, like they did with the shiny, piece of foil or whatever they made it true of the week they did as hollywood says hang a lantern on it they screamed this is interesting for an entire week without saying anything about where it came from what it might be where it had gone the fact that it was there one day and gone the next they just made it their picture of the week in other words their words did not match their actions and actions speak louder than words, and someone inside wanted everyone to pay attention to the twine. Hey, yeah, Ron, I want to commend Ron on this yes. composite, this triptych, the triptych. Yes. 
Yes, the yes. most amazing thing is how the third picture, July 16th, captured the impression dug into the yeah, sand. Yeah, the little, little scuff right. marks. You can, yeah, right. you you can, can take... just barely see them. That's why I didn't do a separate blow-up of those, because it, it actually makes it look worse. You know, it looks phony. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it's if you look carefully at this, you can see because that that is not loose sand. It looks like loose sand. It was at one time, but now it's you know it's crusted. Well, so it's, uh, you don't know that. That's a model. And the thing is to compare the first empty one with the third empty one. Yeah, exactly. It left yeah, exactly. It did. It did, Scott. And you can see the direction of motion. It came exactly. from the lower left corner of that frame, mm -hmm. and so. But that doesn't mean that it continued to go that way. Uh, you know, we don't know. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah. And for people who wonder why they're hiding anything, uh, try number six. Because wait, there's wait, the... Ron. Wait, wait. Ron. Yes? Before Sorry. Go ahead. On, in number five, on the second, uh, like you have a dual image there. Uh, yeah. The second image at the... T okay, so that, that sort of piece of whatever that is coming into the top of the frame in the second image. And it, and this is something that Will Ferrar has talked about in the past. It almost looks like there's a moisture seepage coming Doesn't from underneath. Doesn't it? That spot at yeah. the top looks like it's wet ground. Yeah. Doesn't it? Yep. Others have said that. Because the right-hand I mean, right right side is, yeah, is, you're is, right. is the wide angle. The image on the left, I don't know why you did left to right when we were right to left, is, is just, just a blow-up of the image on the right, NRF underscore 0495. So, yes. Um, it's not two separate images. It's a blow-up of one image. Yeah. But, yeah, it does yes. look like – well, actually, you see how that little shadow in the upper left, it looks like the sand has collapsed because what happens with moist sand, it collapses. Yes. Now, yeah. we're right up next yeah. to a cliff where there could be an aquifer – uh, not remember this used to be a lake. There probably are springs. So yeah, there could be a very clement environment. Okay, let's go to the next one. Seepage. Okay, the next one is the kind of stuff that they never want you to see. So it's, it's a, but the uh, there's the at the top is the um, what frame it came off of. Had to blow it up enormously to show you the detail. And you can see it's rather colorful. This is this is, this is curiosity. Just a, Over just, a plain old curiosity, just a plain old picture from them, and you can see the raw image at the top. And at the bottom, that's what happens when you um, enlarge it about 500 times and um, clean it up. You can see it's, it's yeah, that's... And all uh, the colors are real. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and all those it'll... stringy things look like cable. They're not rocks. No. I know, yeah, the cable is an interesting thing. It's shown up a lot in the Curiosity stuff. Uh, I'm sure Richard will have a complete explanation for it any day now, because um, <laughs> I don't. Uh, number seven, which, uh, yes, that is the background picture for the phony book cover that's number 18. I won't even mention other than that. It was just just seemed like the thing to do at the time uh, with a couple of uh, battle tanks in the, in the foreground. Uh, that's also from the same where this is perseverance again and perseverance hasn't moved around much it's still in the same general it hasn't area moved at all no no it has not otherwise you wouldn't have those identical images that robert likes you know the triptych yeah. as he calls it yeah. and, and, and it had to move uh, because it's drilling uh core samples to be left at cached 
by a future SNASA mission to go to Mars and pick up samples from Jezero. Yeah, which sounds to me like a Ponzi scheme to collect, to build up a fund to collect them because I don't know if they're ever going to go back for them. But anyway, whatever they're doing with them, there they go. Number eight, uh, one that I discovered in the archives just because there was one frame missing. That's like six frames that I had to put together to uh, get the framing that I wanted of the thing in the middle. And a piece of it was missing, and it's been missing for years because that's an old curiosity picture, and it's now ba- it's now in the archive. So I do not know if that thing more or less in the center is an abraded face or something else. You know, it looks to me like Jack Frost with somebody rubbed his face off, because you never can tell with sculptural things. This is a standard thing that happens. I'm that looking the, at uh, all the metallic sheets and bended metal that I'm seeing. Yeah, that's why I gave it so much framing instead of just, you know, isolating it. And uh, yeah, those materials that they're looking at are not just simple rocks. Uh, so that's, they don't really, they require more study than explanation. Uh, number nine, more of the same, except this is from Perseverance. And you can see how colorful and uh, rather mechanical all that stuff looks that's oh embedded in God, that so called rock. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know what it is, but I'm sure someone could explain it. And uh, more nostalgia. It's just, it's just biotite. <clears throat> That was oh, the, okay. That, that, I'm, I'm being facetious. That Biotype? Was, that was the yeah. first mineral that um, uh, Buzz Aldrin said. Remember, it was the 53rd anniversary of Apollo. So oh, yeah. I, I looked at some of the video from Apollo, given where I was mm-hmm. that night. And there is yeah. Aldrin holding up a little rock to his faceplate saying, oh, this has got purple and greeny specks and it looks like biotite. Ah, yes, biotite. Of course. Of course. Got, got moving, on, moving on, yesterday. we don't have a lot of time. Yeah, number 10, number 10, more nostalgia. There's the lower left is the original frame of the, this. Is, yes, this is the good old original Kodiak. Kodiak Temple. Yeah, and the lower right, I did some uncharacteristically selective enhancement and boosted the dark part because they didn't want you to see it. So you can see all the sculpture in there. That's, uh, I don't know, even know how that yeah. one snuck in. Andrew, uh, number 11. Work. Yeah, number – yes, it matches his stuff very nicely. Uh, number 11, uh, that's just different view. Well, upper left, raw image. Upper right, not so raw, as I said in there. And the lower one, you know, cleaned up. This is where – this is the vicinity of where Perseverance is now, so you can get a sense for the general scenery. Pretty much everything we've been talking about is slightly to the left of this, but um, it uh, just for perspective. And the next two – 12 and 13, same thing. Uh, basically, the well, it's not exactly the raw image because they were just excluded. Oh, look at that they, object this, in the bottom one. Wow. Yeah, isn't that cool? It looks like it looks like wrought iron or something. It looks exactly and, like some of the weird sculpted stuff at the Antarctic, but it looks like it's it's twisted iron. It does not look like any mineral I've ever seen. It looks like iron. It looks yeah. like sculpture. There's it also like a sculpture a on the bottom oh, yeah. left, but there are two separate objects, all right? Actually, there's three. Oh, yeah. There's three. There's the yeah. straight thing in the back. There's the weird curvy thing with the purple glints that looks definitely metallic. And then there's the thing in the front, which seems to have sculpture on the bo- Look at that gorgeous face. It's like a manifold. And also, the, uh, yeah. the far end has a perfectly circular, almost like a... Yep, uh, a plumbing, a plumbing uh, fixture yep. or joint. 
It's a toilet. Yeah, serpentine form in the center is amazing. And the uh, toilet is a good guess. I mean, they must have had toilets. But uh, One number thing. 13, yeah, number 13 is uh, the reason it's formatted the same way is both of those were at opposite ends of a small panorama that I did. And there was no way to crowd them together. So I said, oh, hell, I'll just take the hot thing on the left and the hot thing on the right and, you know, do this thing to them. Because normally I have the panorama, but it's too big. Uh, number 14 is the mysterious teeth. On the left, we have a super cam image. And those do kind of look like teeth. You know, above the white thing on the left in the circular close-up telescope image. And yeah, yeah, you know, the uh, it's uh, Schmidt telescope and it's uh, everything. It's uh, it was hard to clean it up, but those do look like teeth. And I know Rogero did some nice sketches from them that are, seem to be very accurate up in his section. Now on the right, Richard can't see this, so everybody well, out there, perk up your ears. It's, well, uh, I kind of can now, but, you know, what you say your teeth are so degraded compared to ones on the left that to me it's – Oh, yeah. I I did not see, I did not find this image originally. It's been around forever, and it was, it's been on lots of web pages, and for some reason they usually invert the colors. It looks so like it a horse's reddish. skull to me with one, yes. two, three, four upper teeth. You got to say that, upper teeth on, exactly. on, on the greenish part above the shadow on the far left of this – Elongated thing. Ninety seconds. We are running out of time. Yeah, because those two teeth. Yeah, because those teeth look like horse teeth. And okay. I suppose it, uh, so. It's a it's a it's a vegetarian dragon if it's a dragon. Uh, yeah, that sounds right. It does look like horse teeth. They're very long. Horse. Yeah, teeth. but it could it could be a mechanical like statue of a horse. I that's a, a rather than an actual one. I don't think it's a real I like skull. The eye. Yeah, guys, I hate to say it, but we have we have run out of runway. It's amazing how we didn't get to the snakeskin. Everybody look at number seventeen real fast. We'll do that next week, Ron. Don't no one's going to be able to look or appreciate. Hmm. We'll hold it all right for next week. Keith, take them all down. Black them out right now. (laughs) I'm looking. Okay, guys. Hey, thank my guest, Ron Gerbron. Robert Morningstar and uh, Andrew Curry, and of course Keith in the background. Um, next week we're going to do something Saturday I was going to do last night, and then on Sunday I may have a surprise. So until then, remember third star on the left, straight on till morning. Good night, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>